Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlife podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. It's episode 121. It's going to be what it's going to be this week. Oh, it's, you sound so positive. It's, uh, it's been another one of those weeks where... Yeah, it's just a whole ton of work stuff and other thing, and more guests in the house, which means I didn't have a, nearly as much time as I normally like to have to prep for the show. Plus, there was the added commitment of it was my turn to have the questions for comics trivia night with the guys from the comic store. It was fun. That it, yeah, it's it's becoming a, a tradition. But since I won last time, proving that I have. <laughs> at least enough uh, credentials in the uh, comic book trivia world to mouth off on the internet about comic books on Your a weekly geek basis. is mighty. Uh, I think I was just slightly less drunk than everybody else because I'm used to it. <laughs> I, I have different habits than most people. Yes. I was able to maintain You longer. might have been more drunk, but as functional. <laughs> yeah, but it was. it's one of those things I've been putting them off for, for weeks. It's like, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll write some questions. And finally, last week, it was like, okay, we want to do it next week. I'm like, oh, shit. So it was day after day of literally in front of the TV with a notebook, drinking beer with my phone in my hand, trying to think of... Because my my criterion for a question was, if I know the answer to it, then it's fair. Yeah. Like, if I know the answer to it without having to look it up, and I would verify it uh, on the phone uh, after I would think of it, but it's, yeah, it's four categories, 15 questions apiece. Some I'm better at than others. <laughs> and I want to say you should have opened the night up with, hi, I'm Rob. I'm going to be your game master, and I would like to drink your fanboy tears. Yes. But- <laughs> Kneel before Zod. <laughs> but was, is that the first question? No, no. The questions are far, far worse. <laughs> but it, I felt like it was a decent mix because I'm not a... I've got friends who run trivia nights at bars. Yeah. And you don't want to just be a savage beating. The point is not to show I'm fucking smarter than you by thinking of these questions. Is You want some hard ones that make people think. And you want some not necessarily easy, but yeah, okay. It's a, uh, More people probably know that than don't. And I really felt going in like that's the mix that I had. And that, it turns out, was not the case. <laughs> so you, you had 60 questions. Uh, what was the high score? Uh, 35. Oh, good job. <laughs> and that included, I, I gave partial credit for funny answers if you didn't know the answer. So really, it was probably closer to like 31 or 32. It's <laughs> Thunderbolt or Lightfoot? Yes. What? Yes. No. <laughs> there is a correct answer to that question. But the actual question was Clint Eastwood, Thunderbolt or Lightfoot? Which... Considering it's mostly middle-aged dudes, you know, there, there are a few women there, but it's mostly middle-aged dudes who you know watch movies in the 70s and 80s. It, that seemed fair to me. I... Less fair was Simon McCorkendale, <laughs> Auto Man or Manimal. I got that one right. You did? I got the Clint Eastwood one wrong. <laughs> well, and it shows that I keep buying these Blu-rays for nothing. <laughs> no reason at all. But I will say collectively... 
you started in on one particular A-team question, and we all got our hopes up. Like, finally, here we go. We've got this. And uh, do, do you care to repeat the question? Because I'll I, tell you about where I started to change my answer midstream. <laughs> yeah, I don't have the exact thing in front of me because it's uh, I, I started with the A-team intro, which I don't know off the top of my head, but it was like in 1972, a crack commando unit <laughs> was sent to prison by a military tribunal for a crime they didn't commit. And they were all like, oh, the A-team, we're <laughs> hit that down. Yeah, but, but the question was, what was that crime? <laughs> and then I proceeded to cross out the ATM. I'm like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and you got partial credit for making me laugh with that yeah, answer. Yeah, because then I proceeded to get the rest of it wrong because I wrote AWOL. And that it's, was not the answer. Uh, no, it was, uh, and I was willing to just accept the general, like, topography of the crime, as it were. <laughs> the specific crime, Heist. the specific crime was they were accused of robbing the Bank of Hanoi. I accepted robbery. One person got robbery, so that was fine. But it's yeah, that was that was the one question where it definitely had an evil bent. I wanted to get people excited and then just yank the hope out from under them. <laughs> you sure that they wrote down robbery as the answer to the crime or just how they felt about the question? Either way. <laughs> I'm fine with it either way. <laughs> but I mean stuff that I would think every everybody well everybody would know is is <laughs> well, you had like, like solid like fifteen music questions, but you've also done time in that area of of media. <laughs> yeah, that's true. When you've been a, a rock and roll DJ for a while, you're sort of forced by nature. Of, <laughs> it's like this show; you got to do preparation. So, yeah, I learned shit about bands that is just stuck in my head that nobody gives a shit about. It's probably just as well that I didn't win because then I'd, I'd just be coming back for revenge with like comics. It will be like fifteen Dazzler questions. Oh, just, God just, damn you! <laughs> <laughs> Stun fucking principle. <laughs> I tried to get a little bit tricky with the comic ones. Uh, the first question I came up with, because I knew there were a lot of Watchmen fans at the table, was in the Watchmen continuity, Richard Nixon never faced the Watergate investigation. Knowing that, who was the sitting vice president at the time of the events of yeah, Watchmen? We, we got this wrong. Um, I think we wrote Spiro Agnew. A lot of people put that, but no, it was still Ford. It's never explained why it's <laughs> Ford, but it's very clearly... Um, in one of the later issues as they're going to the war room, it's Jerry Ford stumbling down the fucking steps of Air Force One. So it's, it's a visual that's locked into my brain, mm. but apparently it wasn't locked into everybody's no. brain. Like the other guy at the at the table is like, I'm a huge Watchman fan. He, he got it wrong. He's pissed at me. <laughs> so he's going to start. He's also the guy who, who makes solid recommendations for books I've never heard of. Ah. Yeah, he, he's going to start putting like, I don't know, Snoopy books and shit. <laughs> so, no, I might uh, get those right. <laughs> yeah. So, no, not in the question. She'll start recommending shit to me. The, what, like, like $18 in. Well, all right. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not the point. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, but I, I, your questions were such a hit I, that the local comic book store owner who participates in this night and originally organized it wanted the list of your questions so that they could kind of go through them. At the store for the rest of the week. Oh, yeah. I, I think to make sure I wasn't just making shit up or something. <laughs> but yeah, now my... my You've set the standard. I, I have been honorably discharged, <laughs> I hope, from my obligation. Yeah, uh, somebody... There was a winner, not me. And <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the other hell of it. It's uh, when the, the owner of the comic book store, he did the questions the first time. And he would bounce sample questions off customers all day long. Yeah. I had nobody. I couldn't bounce them off you. You were in the fucking contest. Right. I bounced one off of you, uh, but I didn't tell you the secondary. I had the f it was a two-part question. Mm -hmm. The first one is, who is the law? But then the bonus question is, it's a bonus point if you could tell me the law's first name. <laughs> 
And a couple people did get it. Yeah, no, it's Judge Dredd. And then um, my my partner got it right. Um, actually, it was a group of three of us. And, and one individual of the three of us got it right. It was um, Joseph. Yep. Because um, I was going to write Johnny T. And I started just coming up with like other random shit, just figuring I would go for the, the comedy part. Yeah. Like, you know, Thaddeus T. Higginbottom <laughs> of the Megalopolis. Um, <laughs> Megalopolis. Philo H. Fungo. Yeah. <laughs> Fred. <laughs> Fred Dredd. That's fucking horrible. That's <laughs> Spell it P-H-R-E-D. <laughs> no, don't do that. No. <laughs> but yeah, other, other than that, yeah, I had to come up with all of them myself and I'm just uh, God I hope this is I, I hope it was fair I, we'll, I think people had a good time we'll find out if people start flicking boogers at me when I walk in the store <laughs> on Wednesday for my new books you're gonna be fine so you're gonna be fine it's like I, I think the combination of it was it was hard but fair and there was absolutely no question that I did not win so <laughs> hard, hard but fair that's that's how women generally describe me <laughs> So, yeah, between extra work shit I had to do all week, and yeah, I had that. That was my evenings of Monday and Tuesday, getting ready for Wednesday. It was just, it was a a busy, a hell of a busy week. Mm -hmm. I have not done nearly the preparation that I normally do. Thankfully, this week our main subject is something that is near and dear to Amanda's heart. So she's done the heavy lifting this week. And and God bless you for it. It's near and dear to both of us. But one of the things that we discovered as we were discussing it going into the show is it's for different reasons and that's perfectly fine. That's that's why fandom is many and varied. <laughs> no, I'm right. All the time. <laughs> sure you are. <laughs> Hard <I'm>, but fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be good. <laughs> but yeah, it's, this is the week the, the new Ghostbusters movie opened yes. up. And we did a show about it when it was first announced in the initial uproar that uh, started because of it. And at the time, we were both kind of optimistic about what was possible given the director and the cast that had been announced. Yep. And yeah, it's uh, like Amanda said, we were both big fans of the original movie, which came out when we were about 12, 13, I yeah. think. But it's in 84, right? Yeah, yeah, but in very different ways and for very different reasons. So, uh, Amanda, what was your sort of. Because I think overall, the property of Ghostbusters mm. itself, you're a bigger fan of that than I am, even though I was a big fan of the movie at the time. It, it means something different to you than it did to me. Well, it, it, it hit me in all the right areas. Um, growing up, I clearly a you know, giant science fiction and fantasy fan, just in general. And for me, that generally took the form of reading books. Um, we didn't have a lot of comic books in the house when I was growing up. And my access to to watching various television shows was generally limited. You don't have to cue the Sad Hulk music yet, seriously. I was ready for it. <laughs> I'm ready for it. So I just, I spent a lot of time um, reading, reading a lot of fantasy books and that generally involved, you know, a lot of ghosts, goblins, horror stories, whatever I could get my hands on that, that was supernatural and spooky because for myself, um, I am a complete and absolute uh, rational skeptic. I, for, and it's really hard for me to buy in on on the belief wagon on, on a variety of things. I, I, I debunked the tooth fairy when I was eight out of just fucking principle. Um, it, yeah. <laughs> what principle? I needed to know where the quarters were going. Who's coming in my room? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but they're they're leaving you money. You're not waking up sticky or anything. <laughs> I didn't feel a need to debunk the free dough. <laughs> I, I feel a need to debunk the free dough for kids now who get like a tenner. Yeah. I mean, I got like 50 cents. <laughs> you got 50 cents? Yeah, it's literally at a crash fair. My folks got a <laughs> tooth fairy box. <laughs> And it was round, and you'd put your tooth in it, and when you put it under your pillow, and you'd wake up, there'd be... But it, yeah, it was the diameter of a quarter. It was to give you <laughs> a quarter or two. <laughs> that's that's what you got back in the 70s. So um, my, my tooth fairy story, just to, to derail slightly, is I decided, you know, we're, we're in the, the height of everybody's losing teeth. <laughs> yes. Um, and I'm like seven, eight years old, and I'm like, oh, fine. I found this wood chip that was roughly tooth shaped. I'm like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go stick this under my... My pillow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so and then and then okay, and then on. nothing showed up. So I bitched to my mom. I'm like, I, I put a tooth under my pillow. Oh, did you lose a tooth? No, it was it was uh, this. She's like, Well, why do you think the tooth fairy would come? I I don't know. But then I I did lose a tooth and then didn't tell them and then just stuck that under my pillow. Nothing. Okay. So, yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say all you proved in the first one is that the tooth fairy's not retarded. That the tooth fairy doesn't well, fall no, for I'm the like, short right, so con. They, they don't fall for the short con. Fine, let's. I now I've got a real tooth. <laughs> okay, no, 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 no quarter. I only got a quarter. I didn't get fifty cents. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I feel like Rockefeller now, <laughs> Mister Moneybags. And, <laughs> um, and then again, same thing. And then at that time, my mom felt really bad because oh, you you have to tell me because otherwise how's the tooth fairy going to know? I'm like, cause they're magic. All right. I don't buy any of this shit anymore. There's no Santa. (laughs) There is, there is a definite lack of (laughs) definition around the communication system with the tooth fairy. Yeah. But if it's, if, if it's a magical being who's supposed to deposit money under your pillow, they should just fucking know. Well, there are limits to magic. John Constantine's a badass, but he doesn't, you know, wiggle his nose and have his giant baby arm sudden magic wang floating out in front of his fucking trench coat. Uh, he doesn't. He, he's often successful with the ladies, not for a long period of time, but. I think it's roofies. That's not magic. That's not magic. It's a different set of parameters. There are limits to magic. Yes. But in any event, I'm. I was eight. It was enough for me to. <laughs> it was enough for me to, like, you know, like, nope, nope, there's none of that. But. It, um, as they would say later on when the X Files debuted, I want to believe. Show me something, because I, I I just I don't have it in me to just believe without some kind of at least hint of proof, just something. And I would I would go to the library after school because that's where my parents would pick me up after various extracurriculars, um, junior high. So I'd be down there reading. Uh, Hours on end, uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, world book, biographies of Harry Houdini, who, is, who wanted also to believe in spiritualism, but then became disillusioned with it <laughs> and, and, and became a debunker. I, I'm only playing this song because I had Atari for after school. <laughs> yeah, well, so I'm reading up about, you know, before, right, before Ghostbusters was even a thing, I'm reading up on spiritualism and ectoplasm and mediums and, and all of this shit. And, and I discovered somewhere in my reading that uh, – Duke University actually had a parapsychology department. You could fucking major in parapsychology. It started. It started um, in the thirties. Those 30s. guys make philosophy majors look like forward-thinking geniuses. It started in the thirties and then eventually, like, closed in like nineteen eighty-four. So right around the time my heart would have been broken anyway. Um, <laughs> like, there's a major I can do something with. Like, <laughs> So anyway, well, Mom, I, I decided to major in English because it was a good compromise. I wasn't going to go anywhere with parapsychology. Uh, <laughs> Nobody ever has. 
But I was I was just fascinated in the field. Like when I was in high school, I eventually took a psychology class. We had to do a project. I did the the thing with the cards, not with the the Milgram machine that Vinkman had, but I did the thing with the the cards with cards with the wavy lines and the shapes. And you know, I had people like try to. It's a probability game, really. Sure, because <laughs> it's like one out of five. How do you do? <laughs> yeah, is that all there is? I think there's five cards, if I remember. Correctly. Oh my god, what a ripoff! <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, I thought, uh, what's his face, Eugene, uh, who yeah. got zapped in the first one? Eugene. Uh, yeah, I thought he was finally making some real headway. He was. His, well, that was the irony in the original one, is that um, the the use of a negative stimulus was actually proving to work. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, just, I thought there was a wider array of things. <laughs> no, no, it's like wavy lines, star, square, circle, triangle or some shit like that. <laughs> no, all right, now I'm disillusioned. Yeah, well. Um, so when this movie came out, it was, you know, the combination of that plus, you know, I'd seen Caddyshack. We had a VCR at this point. I'd seen... <laughs> yes. I want you guys to go out there and protect your balls at any cost. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited for um, the folks that are in the movie, although, I, I, again, I didn't know nearly as much about action movies and science and fiction movies and and comedians and all of that at that point as i would learn later on as yeah. i as i became older i mean I, I went to it with my best friend at the time kelly mccourt we went to the worcester downtown showcase there uh theater cinema it was on main street uh beautiful former theater building <laughs> and it's like old school shit yeah and then we went in and we saw it in in that space and uh, it was we we came out of there just you know, two kind of tomboy girls going, oh, that was so awesome. It was like before <laughs> cosplay was a fucking thing. That was I I did that for Halloween. What's what's sadder than like a a preteen like Halloween like person like going out trying to get candy? Me, um, <laughs> <laughs> like I I didn't I didn't like have the wherewithal to be able to really make my own outfit. So I was like wearing brown corduroy pants and a matching corduroy shirt that I had put like just like the the skeeviest. Ghostbusters symbol. It was sort of an um, egg shaped because I <laughs> like not a, coordinated, <laughs> like a black and red sharpie and shit. Yeah, nice. With, with sort of a, a dog turd shaped like ghost. Because I meant well. <laughs> <laughs> Ding dong, Hank. There's a girl here who wants to clean the dog shit out of the yard. She's got a shoe box. It's got the same thing on it. That was my proton pack. <laughs> All right. So are you saying that I need to build you like an honest to God cosplay no, for the next convention no, that we go to? You don't need to do maybe. Now the, maybe, uh, <laughs> okay. I, mean, I, I will not wear one, but you know, for uh, a project, I need projects. <laughs> God knows I don't have enough going on in my life. But we were, we were into it because of, of the material and how, how well the movie came off as a whole, the, the special effects standard at the time. Like we came out of there going, who's Sigourney Weaver? We didn't care. That she was an alien. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the first thing I saw Sigourney Weaver in too. You know, we were trying to figure out is, is that you know who who eventually turned out to be Harold Ramis. So we didn't know. It's it's a weird name. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was I just we loved it, and I, I would go on to see it like multiple times. Um, and and for me, what I loved about it was the intersection between um, the the fantasy aspect of it because it was all stuff that I had read about even though I was never really going to ever believe in it but I just love to see it come to life on the screen sure um and the the comedic aspect of it which would later on lead me to you know looking more critically at the movies and work thereof of like Bill Murray Dan Aykroyd etc right um 
it was it, it was it hit me on all of those levels. <laughs> so for me to hear that this was you know going to to be remade or rebooted or whatever, cautiously excited. I mean, they've been trying to make some kind of. <laughs> Yeah. Ghostbusters three for forever, right? And 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 this is before you know, this is before we have the success that we've had because, um, you know, when you get involved with other things where they're trying to extend various franchises, um, you know, old Indi- Indiana Jones and like the the Crystal Skull escapade or whatever the fuck that shit was. Um, <laughs> was I've never heard of that movie. That's not a thing. <laughs> That was don't like, bring your fucking lies to this show. <laughs> that was just sort of like, oh, they're gonna make another Indiana Jones movie. Oh, they made another Indiana Jones movie. Oh, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you just you get worried because there's for me how the, the legacy character as you want to remember them um, versus the reality of as they get old, <laughs> older. You know how how are they being handled, and and it, is it. Is it a story that needed to be told, or are we just exploiting the memory of the franchise? And I, I finally started to get excited about extensions of franchises after The Force Awakened did so well. Yeah, but it took that. Let's remember, we right. had three Star Wars movies in between the ones of our childhood. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I, I went into Ghostbusters 2016. Uh, cautiously optimistic because there was a whole shit storm of people that didn't want it to do well that were being assholes about it right out of the gate. And it was hard to necessarily find fault in some ways other than the ones that were just sort of outright, no, girls, yeah! They ain't afraid of no ghosts, but they're deathly afraid of girls. And <laughs> well, Because <laughs> girls are icky. <laughs> well, to, to quote the great Doug Stanhope, if you looked at a vagina up close, <laughs> it's a little scary. I got shit to do. <laughs> so, why don't you talk about you? Well, there, and- <laughs> I could understand a certain amount of the reaction because for a lot of people, uh, they have a feeling about the movie the same way that, that you do. Whereas for me, I really liked it as a kid. I mean, I, I liked it to the point that yeah, it was the first movie I pirated on VHS, I think. Okay. I rented a VCR and bought dubbing cables and learned how to put it together and, yeah, to, to get my own copy of it when it first came out for rental. I think the last toy I bought, like, I'm a kid and I want a toy, mm. was a, a Venkman action figure from, like, yeah, I think the real Ghostbusters cartoon debuted, like, the next year. And or, I watched the hell out of or it. Or in the fall. <laughs> Until um, it got, like, really silly. I mean, some people would say out of the gate it was silly, but I, I gave it a couple of seasons. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I never really watched a lot of the cartoon because for me, yeah, I really like the movie. It, yeah, I mean, it's for a 12, 13-year-old boy. It's okay. You've got Bill Murray's humor with yeah special effects and big slapstick moments. And yeah, it hits all the sweet spots. But for me, it was okay. This is my introduction to Bill Murray. And from there... The, the same way this week you can't turn on AMC or any, you know, formerly UHF channel mm-hmm. and not find Ghostbusters or Ghostbusters 2 on. When Ghostbusters was big, all the channels were showing meatballs and stripes. Mm-hmm. And so I was introduced to more Bill Murray. And from there it was Saturday Night Live. And that got me into John Belushi. And Belushi occupies a much higher point in my comedy estimations and did from an an early point. So from there was Animal House and Blues Brothers and into more arcane Saturday Night Live stories and Michael O'Donohue as a Mm -hmm. writer, which got me into National Lampoon. So as a jumping off point, 
to a lot of the things that formed my sense of humor as I wanted to be a comedian when I was a kid. Ghostbusters is a great jumping off point, but that was it. It was a jumping off point. Mm -hmm. And within a couple of years, it was, you know, you ask me, oh, of the Saturday Night Live, it's a, no, Animal House. Animal House is the top of the heap, absolutely bar none. And yeah, Ghostbusters was still good, but it was the property itself was mostly an introduction to other things that became more important to me. I still love Ghostbusters. I have the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. I went to see Ghostbusters 2 oh. when oh. it came out. We don't talk about a sack of shit that somebody should have complained about. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, that's one thing that's always been in my head as this online fervor over Ghostbusters 2016 is you're ruining Ghostbusters. It's like, no, motherfucker, the people behind the original Ghostbusters ruined it in 1989. It's already fucked. <laughs> I, I saw that on a date. It was right after graduation, and uh, this this kid that I I had had a crush on for years until I went out on a date with him. Uh, <laughs> Go on. His name was Mark, and Mark <laughs> sat in back of me in, in geography in seventh grade. I thought you were going to say at the movie. This is. <laughs> <laughs> I wish now, um, and, and and we we went to go see it, and um, I trying to be a forward progressive young woman refused to let him pay, which that set the tone just wrong <laughs> to um full disclosure this was my first date uh, <laughs> oh god <laughs> so wait, i had wait, no wait. idea how to comport myself um <laughs> seriously i didn't uh and then we went to like a friendlies afterwards it, it was like shitty movie shitty atmosphere he wanted to tell me stories about how he worked at a cemetery and there were ghosts like like he thought this was going to be the inn and then i was going to lie down and you know so um, note to self, gentlemen, driving around in, in your shitty old car, uh, trying to tell stories about how ghosts are real at the cemetery, um, isn't always going to do what you think it's going to do, unless what it is is, I really don't want to see this girl again, so I'm going to be a bigger freak. <laughs> <laughs> see, I thought it would be Finger Blast City. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. The creep vibe went up. <laughs> uh, all right, good good story. <laughs> Also, Ghostbusters two sucked so hard. Like, <laughs> oh, it was it was awful. I had one or two moments, but but that was about it. Yeah. And even the the Ghostbusters Xbox three sixty video game, which I liked the video game. Yeah, I remember you getting that. And it was supposed to be this is what Ghostbusters three was gonna be. And the big thing was they got Bill Murray involved. Well, it, it's like they they roofied him, <laughs> and he woke up nailed to a chair. <laughs> With a microphone in front of his face. Did you mind? Read script. Whack. Just <laughs> torturing him. I mean, he he sounded internally sarcastic. It's not, not Venkman sarcastic. Like, this is just a horror show that I'm involved with, and I'm just going to ham it up. I'm picturing it like a Saw movie. Like, the, the key to your handcuffs to get out of the sound booth is in that body over there. <laughs> but your takes need to be clear. So... Figure out how to get the key, but you're going to be here as long as it takes. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah, it's Ghostbusters important to me, but far more as this is the beginning of my exposure. This Ghostbusters exposed itself to me, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and your childhood wasn't ruined. <laughs> yeah, yes, it's true. This man has no dick. So it was, it was basically uh, harmless, but. Yeah. <laughs> So it's it's got that place in my heart as to yeah it opened up this whole new horizon but I moved toward the horizon. It's you know you you never forget your first mm. but 
Your first is never your best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. No, and that makes sense. That, that makes sense. So, so I mean, I approached this new movie as, okay, I have warm feelings toward the original, but I didn't have nearly as high a bar as I think a lot of people did, as you probably did. Like I said, that was... As a, as we do this show more, and as as we've done the site, beginning to learn more about myself as a, a as a geek and a fan, and I I have certain particular areas that I think speak to me, and I I didn't realize how strongly until we start getting into like individual differences for why something is liked or not liked. Sure. And for me, it's 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 really strongly that science fiction, um, fantasy horror piece, and and there were some legitimately creepy things going on in Ghostbusters that they pulled off very well. And and just for in general, that that was my jam. That's that's how I escaped. So I was reading the Stephen King books and th- those were the things that I could get as media in the house that were escapist if I couldn't stay up and watch the show or see the movie that I wanted or get the comic book that I wanted. I, I had these other things, generally horror books. <laughs> yeah, which is fine. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I said, my reaction when they announced this new one was, yeah, okay, it, it could very well be good. I like the director. The work the director has done with some of the stars in it looks solid. Uh, yeah, it's it's got a it's got a high bar to pass because yeah, even though Ghostbusters does not have that uh, the the biggest and the you know, most important thing, you know, I never drank Ecto Cooler even no, I when didn't I either. <laughs> even when I needed a mixer for vodka. It's <laughs> actually no. Wait, let me let me uh, step back on that. When I was in college, do I need to cue up the Hulk theme? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Okay, well, I, I think anybody who drinks it should just have the sad Hulk theme going through their mind. Um, we had a, yeah, we had a... as they're constantly tested for tumors. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I blind? Ulcers. Um, we had a thing called Spody, and it was it was um, they would mix it in in garbage cans like full-on garbage cans with a name like that i'm shocked i can't believe that and it was uh as much cheap vodka as you could get them to deliver we had uh, alcohol delivery if you had a 21 year old who just was charismatic and could get them to not ask questions uh, (laughs) okay (laughs) uh you could have alcohol delivered to our college and yeah as much cheap vodka as you could get uh, you cut up fruit, so you like from the dining hall, like bring back as many apples and oranges as you could stuff in your pockets. At <clears throat> it was a college dining hall, I'm sure they had plenty left over at the end of the day. And uh, and uh, ecto cooler, so it was this green, <laughs> slightly viscous, full of floating fruit kebab. Yeah, choking hazards. If you're choking on it, you're probably done for the night. <laughs> and <laughs> if you haven't already gone blind because of whatever chemicals were in the trash can, <laughs> mixing I'm with an the vodka. <laughs> <laughs> mixing with the vodka and and your puke would be glorious because of the ecto cooler so <laughs> where's my whiskey funnel like better than like the cheap green beer you get on amateur like saint patrick's day like it was <laughs> oh well ecto cooler never looked like anything natural so <laughs> did you have any of the the hardcore negative reaction because i know we both seem pretty positive at least at the initial announcements but as, s- as more and more stuff came out it seemed like the the general it went from a dull roar from people on the internet to people just in a screeching hate frenzy, well, which, which I never understood. Yeah, but, I, but then again, we've established where it falls in my my lifespan. The, its importance. I felt like the screeching hate frenzy was uh, foolish and sort of overdrawn by by people who were just too focused on the casting 
Um, I was more concerned with the trailers didn't market it particularly well. I wasn't sure what, what I was going to see. I saw some broad humor that that lacked the intelligence in its jokes that we appreciated in the dry, sarcastic humor of the original. The trailers were fucking horrible. Yeah. So that's where I became concerned. I'm like, oh, God, please don't let them be just you know, relying on slapstick. And <laughs> there is a place for slapstick in Ghostbuster. It, look, he slimed me. Yeah. That's oh. slapstick fucking humor. I, I'm, I, yeah. But, but that seemed to be the majority of what humor we saw in the trailers. Yeah. And they made it almost seem like it was a continuation of the original story where everybody who was paying any attention to it knew that it wasn't. Right. And uh, yeah, it was it Leslie Jones. Mm-hmm. The the character Patty that she played in the movie didn't have too many stereotypical, you know, right. black female friend moments, but every single one of them plus some they clearly cut from the last movie. From the the final movie, rather, were in the trailer. Right, they right. just loaded. Up. It's it's among the worst movie trailers I've seen probably in ten years. Yeah, so the trailer made me start to be like, oh god. That was I, more my concern. I'm like, uh, if this is where they're going with it, and this and this is the only good stuff because you figure that the trailer is where they're gonna put the good stuff, right? <laughs> like, yeah, the stuff that makes you want to go see it, and it's and then we weren't really getting that. However, the stuff that was on the internet, I mean, I'm sure everybody has seen it. If you've seen Ghostbusters at this point, you know that they've made a point to make fun of that shit. <laughs> yes. Um, there are people that just are going out of their way, like, oh, it was gimmick casting. Oh, it, you know, I can't believe that it, they should have had the original characters. Again, um, see my comments about Indiana Jones and, and the, the Crystal Skull fucking. The, the, the point <laughs> is... <laughs> we can't, that can't be a title. I know. Right off iTunes. After a certain point... Um, your beloved characters are getting old, and it's not like you can't tell a good story with them, but you also have to make room for your new characters, and 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 there is also nothing wrong necessarily with telling a new story as long as that story is told well. And and there were a lot of people that were just getting their their panties in a twist. Because they were focusing on the casting and and screaming bloody murder that it was somehow ruining their childhoods. Um, related note, and I put a link to it up on our Twitter. Matt Debenham, who's an author, wrote a story on Medium.com that actually explores the idea of what if the new Ghostbusters ruined your childhood? <laughs> it's an excellent read, and I highly recommend it. <laughs> Yeah, remind me of that. I'll try to remember to find the link and chuck it in the show notes. Okay. Um, because seriously, after a certain point, um, there's a, a, a needless amount of whinging. <laughs> you know, if, 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 if Miley Cyrus did a, a, a semi-naked striptease, or maybe not even semi, uh, to the, the Coke jingle, <laughs> there would be people out there claiming that it ruined their childhood. And there'd be some that would be claiming it energized their childhood. But the point is, everybody's <laughs> going to have a different point of view towards nostalgia factor. And, and, and the gatekeeping around legacy characters and legacy franchises has been a, a, a rampant point of discussion, I think, with this movie and lately um, in the comics community with what's going on with Rebirth and uh, All New, All Different Marvel and Civil War Two, So there's a certain point where I think writers and directors have gotten a lot smarter about thinking around to what degree are we going to provide fan service and at what point are we going to feel confident in telling our own stories? It's There's a lot... 
particularly in movies, but I, I see what you're saying, and we can talk a little further about what Marvel and DC have been doing because I think there there are certain parallels on both sides of it. But there has definitely been, for a lot of years now, a lot of knee-jerk reaction from fans and from creators who are playing in established universes uh, about fan service. And there's there's very much, and I am not in any way not guilty of this, see three shows in a row of how dare you put Watchmen in the DC <laughs> universe. Oh, I, I had a whole whole episode where I, I yelled about um, Nazi cap. So <laughs> Yeah, it's everybody's got their thing, and it's, you know, for if you're a fan, you have feelings of propriety toward mm. things. It's this is mine. The the screams of George Lucas raped my childhood with the prequels. But it's the fact that it's not your childhood. You were a consumer. Star Wars isn't yours. Mom and dad bought you a movie ticket. It influenced your life and maybe moved you in a direction of, I love this and I'm going to follow everything and read all the expanded universe. And this is the thing that got me into this, into this, into this. But it's not really yours. But as fans, we're loud enough mm. uh I got a microphone in my face. <laughs> Believe me, I'm being amplified. And with the internet, most of us are. Uh, there's there, This is what I want from my Star Wars, from my Indiana Jones. And you find a lot of, I don't want to say pandering, but I think there's a certain amount of pandering toward that. George Lucas did not pander. He made the prequels the way he wanted to. They weren't real good. Yeah. For the most part, but... He still he, made a shit ton of money. <laughs> yeah. If there was pandering, it was the third one, and then by then he'd learned his lessons across, too. Is like, let's just give some people what they want up to a certain point. And that's, all right, well, the third one's the best. Well, it's the third one is the closest to, oh, this is what I want to see. Yeah. Did that make it a good movie? No. no. But it's that's part of the problem. Yeah, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, real piece of shit. Yeah. It was just terrible. <laughs> It's, there's no reason Indiana Jones at, at that point, 69, should be fighting fucking Russians <laughs> and swinging like Tarzan. Yeah, that was, it was, it was ill-conceived. Um, I, you know, I, I have similar trepidation about the, the new Blade Runner that's coming out. <laughs> I have zero interest in the new Blade Runner. The same way I had zero interest in the new RoboCop. Yeah. The original RoboCop is as close to as perfect a sci-fi satire as you're going to find anywhere. Well, and that's a good point because a lot of, you know, the, 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 the guys, and they were for the most part guys on the internet screaming, I am the gatekeeper, which is ironic. Go find yourself a key master. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> you know, they, Oh, it, it was a ghostbusters from 1984 was a perfect movie. No, it wasn't. Um, it had flaws. It, it yes. didn't need to be remade. Why did they need to remake it? They did. Why do you need to remake anything? It's happening. They remade RoboCop. It sucked. They remade... Um... Let's be fair. We have not seen the RoboCop remake. Okay. I didn't avoid it the way a lot of people... You know, RoboCop is probably as near and dear to me as Ghostbusters is. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's a... They're, oh, they're doing a remake? Fuck that. I don't care. I'll catch it on cable at some point. The, uh... All right. The other one was um, Total Recall, which, yeah. you know... I, I think I saw the remake, and I was kind of like, oh, okay, that happened. <laughs> yeah, we dialed it up on cable. I just yeah. happened to be flipping and uh, and got it on the TiVo. But, you know, as much as I enjoyed it, um, not to the degree that I enjoyed Ghostbusters, but um, the, the 1990s one, you know, who doesn't like to listen to Arnold Schwarzenegger mumble through things? You know, who doesn't? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a big part of my childhood. I don't have any particular fond feelings of Total Recall. You bought that Blu-ray. Yeah. it's A, a lot of people do, and, and I, God knows I love Paul Verhoeven, just talking about RoboCop. Yeah. Yeah, Total Recall. <laughs> eh, all right, yep, three-titted woman. Okay. <laughs> Came out when I was 19. I'd seen boobs. One extra was not going to help me out. <laughs> I mean, there are some other things, I suppose, that could people are, there's a certain similar fan base, not in the same way of, of the, the rabid fanboys who are trying to gatekeep on this, but that were similarly disappointed with, and I haven't seen it, Gem and the Holograms movie, because they had fond memories of the cartoon from their childhood, and they felt that the movies took it in a different and, and far more sort of corporate direction. And so it, it bothered them in terms of uh, how they felt they were given any kind of fan service but that's the thing fan service it's a double-edged sword you're right it's it's great to be shown what you want does that make it good Uh. well that's the question (laughs) it was it was good to see michael corleone again (laughs) i disavow all knowledge of godfather (laughs) three a lot of stuff went wrong with that yeah okay you know, on the other hand, I loved the A Team series as a kid. I also enjoyed the movie. It didn't do nearly as well as I think people had hoped it was going to do. But that was a solid, fun movie. It doesn't make you any smarter. It was arguably smarter than any episode of the television <laughs> show. Yes. You know, what are some other things from my childhood that I would view with a certain amount of interest, but also trepidation? Buckaroo Banzai. Like <laughs> that would. Yeah. I, I would I would watch a Buckaroo Banzai reboot or remake. I'm not sure it could live up to my childhood. Not that that was a stellar movie, but what's well, I remember distinctly talking about the Battlestar Galactica remake yes. with Trebuchet when the miniseries was coming out, and he's like, "That's gonna be shit." No, <laughs> exactly. Season or rather series finale, notwithstanding, yeah. that was shit. They took a concept and did something radically different with just the germ of the idea in place that was wildly successful because that was in no way fan service. <laughs> the Cylons look different. I'll argue the Cylons and how cool they looked in the 70s are all anybody really gave a shit about yeah. that show. Yeah. I mean, that was the one show uh, that came out when I was like eight or nine years old. That's the one show where all the toys I bought were the bad guys. I okay. had I had a Cylon action figure and I had the Cylon Raider with the second generation with the ones where you couldn't shoot the rockets down your throat. If you're buying the bad guys, then your your idea is basically flawed. It's just these guys these look cool, so I'm gonna get those, but I don't care about your heroes. Yeah, I mean there's certainly any number of, of legacy franchises at this point that keep limping along and, and spitting out new <laughs> new properties every X number of years, if only to to keep the license valid. Uh, Terminator, I'm looking at you. And <laughs> <laughs> well, let's be fair. We haven't seen Genesis, probably for good reason. Yeah. Um, so just the core arguments seemed so petty up front when there's already wild examples of things that people aren't giving nearly the level of outcry to that are turning out such, you know, having seen Ghostbusters now, inferior product. And and it just seems to make no sense other than people are being bitchy because four women were cast where it had been four men. And it's, I, I can, I in no way 
agree with it or condone it, but I understand the argument provided it comes from a place of ignorance of the work of director Paul Feig yeah. and his work with Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig in particular on a couple of movies. Mm-hmm. If you have not seen any of that work and seen that it generally does work, then yes, the concept of, oh, we're going to replace all the Ghostbusters of your childhood with women feels... I, I can understand people having the perception that this is only happening because of an agenda. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you look at Fag's work, no, he just works with particular women and does it well. But yeah, if you walk into it without that understanding and say, oh, this is because of an agenda, agendas aren't funny. Yeah. And Ghostbusters is supposed to be funny. So I, I understand where that perception can come from. It's, yeah. It's not a correct one, but I get it. Yeah. And 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 you know, as we start getting into our perceptions of the movie and all of that, it's by no means perfect. Oh, the not original at all. one was by no means perfect. The original one is <laughs> the original one is closer to perfect, but the problem is it's closer to perfect because it is perfect for Bill Murray. Yes, and at that particular time, he was one of the funniest people on the planet. Yeah, and and his style of humor at that point sort of epitomized you know what one expected in. Um, male comic humor at that point. Yeah, absolutely. That same attitude from somebody else probably wouldn't work. Because if you think about Peter Venkman in the first one, he doesn't believe any of this shit. Right. And that's part of the the draw. It's a constant grift. Even as ghosts are (laughs) spitting green semen on him, (laughs) there's just this feeling of none of this is serious and none of this is right. The world is collapsing around him and he's talking about getting the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man laid because he's a sailor. And ironically, that part, if I understand correctly, was supposed to be John Belushi's. Oh, yeah, but that part originally was also supposed to be part of a much more massive story where yeah. the Ghostbusters go to the afterlife. And, and yeah, Eddie Murphy was supposed to be a fighter pilot or something. And Yeah, <laughs> Zetamore was originally, I've heard, supposed to be Eddie Murphy. And so, yeah, it was... Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd always called himself like the scriptatron two thousand. <laughs> That's who he always said was writing the script to the Blues Brothers. Okay, the original Blues Brothers script was like two hundred and forty pages, and at a page a minute, that's like four hours. <laughs> So look, Dan, that's, that's damn near Shakespearean. <laughs> yeah, Dan Aykroyd, <laughs> he's the George Lucas of comedies in the sense that he too is saved by the editing. <laughs> There's a reason that Dan Aykroyd has written a few movies. He did the Blues Brothers. He mm-hmm. did Ghostbusters. He did Spies Like Us. And I think that's about it. The world was not pounding on Dan Aykroyd's door for more fucking scripts. Because the scripts that he turned out really needed, they didn't need a scalpel, they needed a chainsaw. <laughs> they needed to be shaped by other to turn them into an actual movie. An examination of the afterlife and the actual existence of ghosts had to be turned by Ivan Reitman into a story about a small business. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the kind of work that needed to happen to Dan Aykroyd's scripts. So <laughs> Makes sense, makes sense. So, yes, Ghostbusters, if you take out Bill Murray and drop in almost any other actor whose role is, I don't believe any of this shit is going on, you've just punctured that movie. When your hero doesn't care, (laughs) 
it takes a very particular performance and a particular confluence of script and editing and actors and words to make that work. Yes. So to then say, we're just going to take this and do it with, be it women or other actors or whatever, it never would have worked. Something different had to happen. Mm-hmm. for just the concept of Ghostbusters to go on. Because the reality is I give Bill Murray a certain amount of credit for constantly being the one saying, I don't want to do it again. Yeah. I think the only reason he did the video game was because after 12, 15 years of Dan Aykroyd being like, please, my career, I I, I left it somewhere. <laughs> I really need this. So we'll do the video game. It's like, fine. So I can do that in an afternoon. I can show up at a recording studio in like my underpants and just spit it out, like bang the lines <laughs> right out. Okay, Dan. Um, now I'm warning you, Dan. My phone number is going to be different tomorrow. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> when you put that one eight hundred number in place that is is sort of the the lore now around how to get a hold of him. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I give Bill Murray credit for saying I've done it. I don't want to do it again. Yeah, and frankly, he probably looked at the sequel and said it didn't work. We caught lightning in a bottle, and we couldn't do it a second time. I'm sure shit not going to do it a third. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're going to do something with the franchise, you've got to do something different with it. And they definitely did. Do we, we're 40-something minutes into the show. Do we want to talk about the actual <laughs> Ghostbusters about the actual movie? movie? Yeah, because here's where we get into. I feel you know they, they treated a legacy franchise well. There was enough fan service in terms of Easter eggs and internal logic that nodded to the idea that the original Ghostbusters may well have existed, but... Given our attention deficit society, people have moved on and kind of forgotten about them. Well, make a note about that. Let's let's talk about that in a minute. Okay, but I I enjoyed this movie. I, I feel that yes, there there were some some flaws, but overall, I started the movie laughing. I continued laughing throughout it. My favorite character, unexpectedly, <laughs> was. Kate McKinnon as Jillian Holtzman, and apparently a lot of the reviews are, are citing that as well. They uh, she, they she made this fucking movie in yeah. a lot of ways. <laughs> but they did a nice job of not making any of the characters specifically one-to-one, so you weren't going, oh, you know, Melissa McCarthy is never going to live up to the legacy of Bill Murray, and here's why. She wasn't doing the same character. <laughs> no, I think that's why Holtzman worked as well as she did if there was a character that was as close to what Bill Murray did. Mm. But even then, it was very different. Bill Murray was cynically saying... Peter Venkman didn't believe any of this shit, even while it was happening to him. Holtzman believed it, believed it wholeheartedly, but was having fun with it every step of the way. Holtzman, so not not taking it seriously and like, oh God, we're in danger, but this is fucking awesome. Yeah. And I'm going to make more awesome shit to make it more awesome. It, it reminded me of, I, one of my favorite movies of all time uh, for comedies is Real Genius. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I know. And there's a character in that movie named Jordan who is just hysterical. She's... Uh, in her own words, 19, and she's brilliant, and she's hyperkinetic. And, yep. <laughs> and she goes days without sleep because she can't sleep. <laughs> she's driven roommates insane because she just won't stop working. She just comes up with, she'll, she'll knit you a sweater because she needs shit to do with her hands. <laughs> and, yep. and she'll she'll just build inventions. And I, I view Holtzman's character as similar. She's just up manically building shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, just having a blast. There's a vial of cocaine in one of those sweater, uh, not Adderall. sweater vests. It's but probably just Adderall. Adderall, whatever. <laughs> but, and yeah, just having a hell of a time with the whole thing. Believes every single piece of it. 
Yeah. But it's just, uh, this is fun. I have a thing to shoot a ghost, and I think that's the best thing ever. Ah, yeah. So, you know, in terms of reading some of the reviews, people felt that it was overly proton pack heavy, a lot more use of the weapons than in the original movie. And I would argue this probably ended up happening because McKinnon's character was so strong. They focused on all the cool shit she was doing, which happened to be she made the damn weapons. Well, it's also in the cartoon, and you've, I don't want to say subjected me to a couple of episodes <laughs> in the last few days. I subjected days. you to. I I, look, I was drunk. I, I, wanted... Well, no, I subjected you to to one, and it was one of the ones that is generally regarded as one of the better ones from, I think it's season one, called The Boogeyman, and it gets actually into Egon's childhood. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, the the show had more uh, varied, the, the, the cartoon rather, had more varied weapons and use of the proton pack and, and all of that, because they had a lot, they had a lot that they had to cram in in 23 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, and I saw Red Letter Media did a, a rewatch video of the original Ghostbusters, and they pointed out in the original Ghostbusters, there's exactly a minute and a half of proton pack use yeah. in the entire movie. Now, as a 12, 13-year-old boy at the time, that was the best minute and a half of the entire fucking movie. <laughs> uh, I, think, <laughs> I, I don't think there's any way you could argue that. It was really awesome. So to expand that, it's also, keep in mind, when the original Ghostbusters came out, yeah, it was PG-13, but that was the latest Saturday Night Live movie. Mm. Back when that actually meant something, when Saturday Night Live movies were the Blues Brothers and Animal House and Stripes. So it was not really a kid's movie, I think, in anybody's mind. So there weren't really toys. Well, no, there's... There were so many sort of questionable adult things going on in Ghostbusters in retrospect. And the same uh, Red Letter Media review pointed out, like, why is Dr. Vinkman going to a date with 300 cc's of Thorazine? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just carrying it around. (laughs) I think the reason's obvious. Actually, I don't think it's obvious. I always just sort of took it as, you know, yeah, he is a doctor of some sort. And perhaps uh, in their day-to-day operations, they come across hysterical people. Uh, look, if he were the date-raping kind, he'd be a demon-possessed raping kind. <laughs> I'm not saying it was even date-raping. It's just, it's, that's an odd thing to carry around. Yes, it, it absolutely Even is. if you're just administering it to a random crazy who thinks they're possessed. <laughs> that All right, uh, I, can, I can buy into that. But uh, even beyond that, it's like, you know, joke's not for kids. We already did it once. Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. <laughs> That's not for the toy buy-in set. Yeah. So I think at some point somebody realized they were leaving money on the table. That's why as soon as the real Ghostbusters came out, the toys started coming out. Yeah. I don't blame Paul Fagg or anybody else involved saying, you know, we've learned kids might like this. Why don't we give them shit to buy? Yeah. You know, most of the toys in the movie serve very little purpose. I mean, the proton packs are the money shot. You know, the... The fisting glove or whatever it was. <laughs> I'm going to fist this ghost now. <laughs> yeah, the the you know, the wood chipper thing. You know, okay, the, those are there for kids to buy toys and for a quick individual moment to show all these things make different sense. You know, for a particular attack, but it's about the proton packs. Yeah, yeah, I can see why you go heavier on that because all right, in the 21st century, much more so even in 1984, which was only six years after. George Lucas could buy and sell huge parts of Marin County. <laughs> the merchandising matters. And, and merch is still important now. Yeah, it's, I, I don't begrudge it. Certainly, I, I did reach a point on the like third scene in the alley of, here are my new, new toys. <laughs> that said, 
when Kate McKinnon licked the pistol guns, I'm like, all right, you've made my cheat list. You know, if you let me cheat with somebody, Holtzman. I don't know anything about Kate McKinnon. Fucking get Holtzman. I, she, she is the first openly gay cast member of Saturday Night Live. Not to right. burst your bubble, but... All right, well, it's like I said, Holtzman. I don't know about Holtzman. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Paul Fagg has gone on record that he can't talk about her sexuality <laughs> because of the suits of the studio. <laughs> all right, well, then fuck that. Let's forget I said anything. It's all right. But you know that that being said, um I think that there were there were moments as the movie was structured that mirrored kind of the original movie, but they managed to be different enough that we didn't feel like we were getting a shot for shot remake, which wouldn't have made anybody happy. No, um, absolutely not. Cuz think about things that that are shot for shot remakes, Seiko, <laughs> Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll stand by the Watchmen movie. It ain't perfect, but I, I like it a lot. But even you know, even as successful as The Force Awakens was, uh, people can point to very significant parallels in terms of the story structure with uh, A New Hope. Oh, and, it's, and, it's some a, pe- and some people were put off by that. I, I wasn't. <laughs> if you're going to ape from Star Wars, ape from fucking Star Wars. Yeah. But I think here, you know, there, there were enough differences. You know, so we've got... Um, Aaron's character who is trying really, really hard to get tenure and, and, and go straight and, and, and be just a particle physicist or, or whatever, quantum physicist. There's so many physics. Yeah. I so much physics. I, I ain't so good with the maths. <laughs> I, I can't do the maths. Um, and, and the discovery that this book that she wrote back a number of years ago with, with Abby is now going to threaten her possible possibility of tenure you know that gets the band back together again and everybody gets kicked out of their various academic pursuits <laughs> yeah and and that's one of the things i liked there were things about this that i liked better and thought made more sense than the original okay uh when they got kicked out and started their company but really it was just sort of we, we want this to sustain our research as opposed to Bill Murray's dollar signs in his eyes yeah. <laughs> for whatever reason that was never the, the the reasoning behind why they would go into business for themselves just because, hey, we've realized we can catch a ghost. Well, you've only seen one. <laughs> You're really going to bet Ray's house and four mortgages on, on the second one is going to lead to a phone call? I suspect Venkman, uh, prior to this movie had left behind a trail of broken relationships and bodies as long as the Mississippi River. Oh, just I, <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> it's, What's the next grift? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a, a again uh, in talking about, you know, as a kid it, I was really into the original until it led me to other stuff. I have the Ghostbusters novelization, apparently one of two. Mm. The the original one was apparently a very terse Here's a scene, here's a scene, here's a scene. But the second one fills in a lot of shit from the original screenplay. And yeah, Venkman got Ray into trouble with his parents because <laughs> Venkman had borrowed Ray's car just before Ray had to go back to a family reunion. So Venkman brought it back and then drove him to the family reunion and then took Ray's sister out and nailed her in the woods or something. And the, the reason Ray got the house is because his dad said, you know, if this is the type of person that you're dealing with in your professional life. You're going to need some property to fall back on. <laughs> so yeah, Venkman uh, had a reputation. I think he grew up with carnies or something. Jesus. In the book. So your characterization, at least based on this novelization, 
if you take that as any kind of <laughs> canon, is not far off. Okay. So, but yeah, it's a uh, the 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 idea that okay, we'll we'll go into enough business to sustain our own work. Uh, the idea that the government believes this stuff mm. it gives a reason for people with unlicensed nuclear reactors on their back <laughs> to wander around without too much interference yes. beyond you know being publicly debunked in air quotes to we're going to disavow you but yeah <laughs> but we'll let you keep operating cuz you're useful and and yeah the, the fact that uh, who was the the villain Rowan Rowan the, the fact that number one there was an actual antagonist and who was doing something concrete to cause the increase in uh, supernatural activity. And ironically, be- was doing it because of the book that Abby and Aaron had published, which gave him enough background that he could use apparently his own physics skills to create these unlicensed fission machines. <laughs> yeah, but the the fact that there was a concrete, there are unlicensed fission machines that are bringing ghosts forward as opposed to the only... If you look at the original Ghostbusters in the wrong way, too hard, it just falls apart. Hey, yeah. we've invented a way to catch a ghost. Purely by coincidence, Zool is trying to fuck his way back through the refrigerator across town. <laughs> so, Yeah, and, you know, this one of the things... That, it was obviously very specious science, but as a 12-year-old, the idea of we can harness nuclear power to to break through these veils. Maybe we can find a way to like bring science and magic together that, you know, I'm 12. That, that made me excited. (laughs) That made everybody excited at 12. That's a cool idea that particularly in 1984, nobody had ever really addressed before. Yeah. And so I think they, they do a nice, here's, here's fan service nod towards that fan service by saying, okay, so in this particular continuity, we're talking again about how do we harness the atom in order to breach that veil and and not in a heavy-handed way. <laughs> yeah. So they did a I think a, a tight job with that piece. Um even right down to the giant con- giant system that Neil had built in the basement of of this hotel. Apparently nobody noticed because he's Whoa. just so beneath contempt to everyone he knows uh that that nobody ever goes down to check the basement. Yeah, but you know what? I could buy that because for every story you hear about, oh, he was a quiet boy. I can't believe <laughs> He had a freezer full of fucking human heads. Yeah. The, nobody goes near the weird ones. That's how they can accumulate a freezer full of fucking human <laughs> heads. If they're really nice guys who don't keep to themselves, somebody goes in and goes, hey, Neil, what's in the freezer, dude? <laughs> so I, I could I could kind of buy that. Yeah. In terms of other things, I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more backstory on it. On Abby and Aaron, although I'm not sure how you get that in there and not make the film substantially longer than it was. Yeah, in the age of DVD, there there may be something there, but there was there was enough of it. At some point, I, I might like more of an examination as to how accurate uh, the year long haunting of which one was it? Aaron, <laughs> Kristen Wiig. Yes. The, yeah, where that comes from, because I imagine trying to study that is where they came up with their initial ideas of, yeah, maybe we could nuke them. It feels like one of the places where they were giving a nod to something from real Ghostbusters, given Egon's apparent longstanding history with this boogeyman character. Yeah, it's. I have no idea how much real Ghostbusters cartoon... Well, I or... felt like between that and the character design for McKinnon, which looks an awful lot like Egon from the real Ghostbusters... And the various weapons, because those kind of bombs and other goofy things 
showed up. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, look they they took all the elements that worked, and I'm I'm just sitting here thinking, I think it's probably the best possible thing they could have done was to say, you know what, we're going in an entirely different direction yeah. with entirely different kind of characters. Because I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, over the years we've had after the first two movies in the video game, season upon season of cartoons. Who is it? IDW? Uh, do they have the yep. license for Ghostbusters? I think so, yeah. A variety of Ghostbusters comic books, all of which I've tried, and none of which have worked. Because if you're talking about the original Ghostbusters, I, I'll say it again, it's without Bill Murray, it's not that compelling. Right. That's the best part of the original Ghostbusters, and whether you replace him with Lorenzo Music in the cartoon, or somebody trying to ape his tone in a comic book or a novelization or something, it just doesn't work the same way. Right. So that's where, again, fan service, I enjoyed the cameos that were the actors from the original movie in completely different roles, except for where they might possibly not be. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, a couple of things with the cameos and the little pop-up things. Like we saw Slimer again, Mm -hmm. and we saw a version of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. By the end of the movie, with the exception of Sigourney Weaver, which I'll talk about in a second... I, I started to get tired of it. Mm. It's I understand why it was there. You you must pay tribute to the original. It is beloved. This new movie has taken so much shit to not pay the appropriate tribute and bend the knee to go full Game of Thrones <laughs> is suicide. But every by by a certain point when it would happen, it would be like you're taking me out of this movie to remind me of one I saw when I was twelve. Yeah, I I liked that Bill Murray was. Um involved with it given that he was the holdup on an actual like Ghostbusters 3 with the original cast yeah I thought it was interesting that he took the role of a um, peck like character (laughs) yeah and and I like the fact that yeah he was peck like but he was in and out it wasn't a big through character but it it made me wonder because um, as we're opening the movie and we see Kristen Wiig go into her supervisor's office you see a bust of Harold Ramis and it makes you wonder when you see some of these characters pop up that, you know, were these the originals that then went off into the world, into their own lives for whatever reason? Were they in witness for protection? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what happened to them? Because the government officials in this movie make a point of saying that all of this has happened before, all of this will happen again. Yeah, and, they're, they're very much, there are a couple of men in black, including one of them is Omar from The Wire. Yeah. <laughs> and if he's not capable of dealing with this, you need somebody with a nuclear ba- fucking power pack it's, on their back. It's true. But all of this will happen before. Omar coming, doesn't matter. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Get the unlicensed nuclear there you device. Go. Anyway, go um, ahead. They, there's a, a very strong likelihood that what they're saying is that these characters did exist as the Ghostbusters elsewhere. And, and people forgot about it. They say, you know, these things have happened before. People it, it, notice it, it comes up, but their attention spans are such that the next thing comes up, they forget about it, it goes away. You know, we, you, can, you can say that some of these were just cameos and Easter eggs, but then you get to, to Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd was the most interesting cameo in the whole of the whole pantheon who shows up um, when Kristen Wiig needs a taxi cab to get back to their base at the Chinese food restaurant. And, and he makes a, a comment about all of the mayhem that's happening around. And he's able to clearly identify that these are class five repeating 
Uh, class five, full roaming vapors. Full roaming vapors. Thank you. Um, and and that uh, he ain't afraid of no ghosts, which I think was a little unnecessary. But but that then he's he's not going to Chinatown. As an Easter egg in the original movie, there is a newspaper headline that they show Ghostbusters bust spook in Chinatown. No other explanation doesn't show up in the novelization. It, what the hell happened in Chinatown? Yeah. <laughs> and why was it so bad that he never wants to go back there? But that that character seemed to me, with the logic they were trying to set up from the men in black saying that this has happened before, people like then forget about it and we all go on with our lives, that these characters were still out there. You know, it, it wouldn't be that much of a stretch, particularly given that Venkman never really bought into the ghosts, even as he was fighting them, that after everything started to go south and go away and they were getting less popular, reinvent yourself as somebody who debunks spiritualism. Sure, that it, that it makes the absolute most sense for somebody like Venkman to do because he knows the grift. He knows what the long con looks like. <laughs> yeah, it's... I, while watching the movie, it didn't occur to me at all. And you brought that up talking about it later. And the more you, the more you talk about it, the more it kind of makes sense to me. And it makes sense to me considering what happened to Bill Murray in this movie. And we'll, we'll just, uh, spoilers, we yeah. spoil everything on this show. <laughs> Why should this be different? At this point, you've probably been excited for Ghostbusters and have seen it. Or you're like, fuck you. Either way. You're like Megan on a Key and Peele sketch. No! <laughs> <laughs> I have your movie. <laughs> now. I've got your proton pack. Now. <laughs> Don't derail the show, goddammit. <laughs> Apologies to Key and Peele. But anyway. <laughs> but yeah, the idea of yeah, Vickman came back under a different name. Uh, and the fact that his character was just almost immediately killed. Yeah. And... I can see Bill Murray maybe being told, no, we have this idea that maybe we find out later on that uh, the original Ghostbusters happened. He's like, fine, I'll be in your movie, but you fucking kill me. Yeah. So, so the, I never have to come back as Peter Venkman. The Han Solo thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be in your, se- I'll be in episode seven, but you fucking kill me. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and yeah, the idea of, uh, look, Zetamore started out as a blue collar guy and mm-hmm. yeah. All right. He's been around the dead all this time. Sure. I'll be a, an undertaker, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you really fit Dana Barrett into that as. Well, I mean, it, that's the question because, you know, the one thing that you were kind of dismayed about at the end in terms of Easter eggs and, and cameos were in the, if you stay through the credits, they have rather than like actual sort of like, um, you know, moments where they break the credits and show scenes, they kind of do stuff all the way through the credits. Which is nice because, yeah, you look at the Marvel movies where there's 500,000 people who have worked on the special effects. You know, the, the end of a two and a half hour movie, I got to take a piss. If I got to stay and wait for a post credit sequence, make it entertaining for me. Don't just show me the names of all the Korean animators. Yeah. Give me something to watch. But Which they they got right in this movie. They they take the time during those those post credit scenes. That's where they inter- introduce uh, Dana Barrett, not Dana Barrett, uh, Sigourney Weaver in her cameo as Holtzman's mentor, who's equally wacky and crazy, yeah. and and apparently um, is also you know giant particle physics nerd, and yeah, and is showing her how to make a containment system. And and then at the very end, and this is the part that you didn't like, but I I had an involuntary gasp of oh, you said it um, <laughs> as as um, Patty is listening to some some tape of some 
ghostly activity that they picked up somewhere. You think it's going to be a callback to a fart joke they made earlier in the movie. Because fart joke's funny. Fart jokes are funny. <laughs> they are funny. And, yeah. Uh, but it turns out she's like, what's Zool? And in my mind, it really makes me wonder if, you know, we were talking about like how did, how in the, in the first movie did did Zool and Gozer suddenly decide, you know, now is a good time to try to break through as the children of the atom are playing with their unlicensed nuclear power packs. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't it be interesting if, you know, maybe this isn't Dana Barrett, but maybe Sigourney Weaver's character is significant and she's been mentoring and pushing along this this brilliant scientist for the, the betterment of uh, the underground Gozer society who wants to bring back <laughs> Zool. <laughs> Is that a band? Because that's the name of my next fucking punk band, the you, Underground you Gozer that Society. <laughs> that's a possible title. Write that one down. Um, yeah, it's my gut reaction watching that post credit sequence where they said Zool was like, no, don't fucking do it. Because my I originally, I uh, not originally, I immediately flashed to Star Trek Into Darkness, which is a movie that, yeah, I like the first time I watched it. It doesn't hold up. And it's because, yeah, you're forcing this legacy character into this, even though it doesn't make any sense, Mm. but you're doing it because you expect fans are going to see it. And the idea of, no, you've done this movie that has some legitimately delightful and fun things in it that are very different from the original. You weren't slavish about it. You didn't have cross the streams. You didn't have a Walter Peck that you've done something original within the confines of an established property which is kind of rare. Don't take a step back and try to remake Ghostbusters 1. That was my gut reaction. Yep. And then you gave me the theory of, well, maybe that cabbie really was Ray Stans. Yeah. And the more I thought about it, I think there's a lot to that because this is all wrapped up, like I said, in the concept of the mayor and clearly some larger government agency said, yep, we know there are ghosts and we're dealing with them which is not something we dealt with in either of the first two movies. So the idea that if they actually happened, now people are aware of it and trying to preemptively deal with it. And how do you do that in the internet age? Yeah, so <laughs> so the idea that, yeah, all right, maybe in order to make all this go away and people forget about it, yeah, people were put into, if not witness protection, something else. And given other livings, it, so the idea that, okay, if they don't do it as a remake, but as a Zool is returning and it turns out, okay, fanboys, fine. Ray Stance is still alive and Winston Zeddemore is still alive and they've been living undercover for whatever reason and they come back for one last fine Dan, but by the way, our phone number is going to change after we do <laughs> Ghostbusters 2. Well, I, I think also... I think that could work. Yeah. And and I that's where I kind of got excited seeing where they put Sigourney Weaver in as a cameo. Yeah, <laughs> and it's she's the one cameo I can't really account for. You mm-hmm. know, Janine going to be a, a a bellboy or whatever, a desk clerk at a hotel. Yeah, fine. She was a receptionist. That's okay. I can see her being put into that position. Well, here, here you know, how, how the cellist becomes a particle physicist. That I don't know. Um. They, they become a particle physicist because, and I'm just going to have the same reaction to Ghostbusters 2 that you have to Godfather 3. Uh, <laughs> to, to what? Godfather 3. Bullshit. Uh, they never made a Godfather 3. Yeah, they, they never made a, uh, a Ghostbusters 2. Uh, I agree they, with that, too. The uh, What if 
when Dana and Peter. No, not Peter. Fuck. Nerdy dude. Oh, uh, Louis Tully. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> when when they were freed after Gozer was supposedly sent back over to the other side and they, they were broken out of their, their dog demon bodies, what if they didn't really fully exercise them? What if, and it's it's the, the theory they kind of used in um, Batman Beyond with how they, they brought back the Joker, what if Zool was just hanging out all this time in the back of Dana's cerebellum and slowly taking over? And then sort of driving the character towards, all right, you're going to go pick up a master's and a PhD in particle physics. <laughs> I, I guess there's, look, whatever. Th- Under your new name. Any theory as good as any other. It's I can, I can see how every cameo that we saw could be a post, yeah, a witness protection kind of identity. Yeah. Except for her. She's the only one. That was, that was my stretch of a theory of how that could have happened. Yeah, and it's, it would explain why Slimer is in this. Mm-hmm. It would explain why there's at least some spectral form of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. It would explain a lot. It would tie everything together for the angry fanboys who are... See, the, the angry fanboy reaction, I really think there was no way around that. Mm. Half of it was, if it was just a passing of the torch, we could take it. It's No, because if it was a passing of the torch, it would have been, you know, you're just accentuating why it shouldn't be four chicks. It's uh, But, hey, there was a loud enough noise, it should be a passing of the torch. I could see Paul Fagg and screenwriters saying, okay, let's find a way to do that. Mm. And, yeah, I think you're right. There's enough signs in there they could get away with it. If that's what they do, and they actually follow up on that Zool comment in the post credit sequence to do that kind of story, mm. that would be interesting to me. If it's just, no, we got everybody for a cameo, and we never thought of that, and we're just going to remake Ghostbusters 1 the same way they tried to remake Star Trek 2 with Star Trek Into Darkness, yeah. I got no interest in it. No, but yeah, closure on, on Zool for real, and the idea that these characters are still out there. Well, not Bill Murray's anymore. He fell out a window and died. But <laughs> yeah. But if Zedmore and Stance are still out there and active and remembering to whatever degree. Yeah. You know, that that could be an interesting take for the next movie. Although yeah. there's still going to be a certain number of people, like, oh, you're just bringing them back now to, to shut us up. He's like, no, well, now we can't win. This is why we can't have nice things. There was no way for this to win no matter what. You do Ghostbusters 3 with Bill Murray and somehow Harold Ramis is still alive. It's like it's a bunch of it's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, not Last Crusade, uh, Crystal Skull. Yes. You're too old for this and why are you doing this and all right, let's it was better off uh, I was better off with just the first movie. Yes. Indiana uh, Jones and the Crystal Meth. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh if they Done, you know, they did something completely different. There was no way to win on this with a certain percentage of people. Yeah. You know, look, if the first Ghostbusters movie is the most important thing in your life, I get it. Again, I'm the one ranting about Watchmen in DC Universe. It's a travesty. It's terrible. I hate it. Even though I really like most of what DC <laughs> Rebirth is other than that so far. That movie's still on the shelf. Exactly. If you turn on AMC right now, it's probably on. <laughs> so and, and and that's just it. I there has been such strong obnoxious reaction from fans around this and a variety of other things. Just just you know, where where somebody feels like their their nose is out of joint because it's not as it was. 
And I get that your voices are made stronger when you find people out there who are like-minded. It doesn't change the fact that your behavior is obnoxious. And there are ways to express your displeasure without trying to derail something that is actually a a good story, a good movie. (laughs) Yeah, but it's. uh, I just brought up DC Rebirth, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. Both DC and Marvel are sort of taking similar tacks to either what they did with Ghostbusters Mm. or what people said they wanted from Ghostbusters. Yes. Which is, if you look at what Marvel's been doing, they've got character after character that they're replacing with new versions of it. We've got female Thor. We've got Falcon as Captain America. We've got a child Nova. Yep. We've got a black Hispanic version of Spider-Man. They've just killed Bruce Banner, and we'll talk about that later. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, okay, we're going to take the framework of the franchise and twist it and do something very different with it. And there's a certain percentage of fandom who are like, great, because now I see myself reflected in whatever version of character looks like you that I never saw before. And you've got a certain percentage of, you know, how dare you say that some black child can be Spider-Man? Yeah, and and there's this this line that they're walking and in terms of new directions and new opportunities for representation versus uh, tradition and comfort. Yeah. But between flat out fan service. Yeah. And yeah, some of it works. Some of it I don't, I don't think works. Mm -hmm. Um, In the end, particularly with comics being comics, you know, the original versions are always going to come back. I think it's easier to, take those risks and decide that you're going to go down these roads where, yeah, I'm going to have a 15-year-old black girl be Iron Man for a while. Yeah. Because you can go back and put Tony Stark in at age, (laughs) whereas Robert Downey Jr. is only going to continue to get older. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Bill Murray, he's afraid of ghosts. Because he's, he's going to be one in about 15 he's years. He's afraid of ghosts because he's worried about his hip. <laughs> <laughs> he busted my hip. It doesn't have the ring of he slimed me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but at the same time, DC is doing the absolute opposite in saying, okay, we're going to bring everything just about back to where it was in the 80s and 90s that you loved. Yep. And again, for fan service, I'm a fan. It's fun seeing some of that. It's... In its own way, and we'll talk about this later, it's, all right, Dick Grayson's Nightwing again. That's comfortable. It is. But Grayson was fucking awesome. And we'll we'll talk about that. I have thoughts okay. on that. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure where we are in terms of time at this point. but We're uh, about an hour 20-ish. Okay. So in terms of, of moving forward from this movie, as this weekend is coming to a close, it didn't win its weekend. It, it came in second. It was up against a Disney movie. It was up against uh, Secret Life of Pets or The Life of Pets or something like that. Yeah. Uh, which was in its second week, and it still came in first. But it's, it's an animated kids movie during the summer. <laughs> sure. Uh, how it, it cleared $46 million domestically this weekend, which is better than a lot of people thought it was going to do. Yeah. Internationally, it cleared $63 million. Uh, it's got a $144 million budget that it's got to make up um, altogether. So it's still got a ways to go before it breaks even. But one of the things that people aren't thinking about for Paul Fig movies, uh, particularly with Melissa McCarthy, is that they tend to, over time, do four times the the box office of the initial weekend because they tend to have legs. 
I mean, that'll be the thing. If if they're ever going to do another one, it's going to need to... Look, the original Ghostbusters, that was a 1984 movie. Yeah. Which means it was up against, Jesus, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. And I think Gremlins opened the same weekend. 1984 was a big year for movies. Yeah. It's, Ghostbusters had legs, and that's part of why it hung on, because it mm-hmm. was up against huge openings almost every week. If this Ghostbusters can have the same kind of legs... I don't know. I, I don't know that it can. And I'm not sure that it can because uh, the the new Star Trek movie opens next weekend. <laughs> yeah, and Suicide Squad's right after that. Yeah. And uh, movies are just sort of different than they used to be. Things don't hang around for X number of weeks unless they make the money. So Yeah. But you know, the, the suits from Sony are, say, are, are feeling positive that this is enough of a groundwork that they can go forward and, and, and begin to develop sequels. It is, I think, the second highest grossing comedy released um, in box office history domestically behind Pitch Perfect 2. Pitch Perfect 2, however, had a much smaller working budget, so financially it was a much bigger success. If somebody would blast Rebel Wilson with a fucking proton pack, I would go see Pitch Perfect 3. (laughs) (laughs) If there's a sequel, we've kind of talked about this a little bit, what do you want to see? I want one of two things. If they're going to go with the Zool thing... Yeah, show me that the reason there are men in black and an understanding at the mayoral level. And by the way, just a quick shout out to Andy Garcia. Oh my God, yes. As the fucking mayor. Yes. That one moment of, you're like the mayor in Jaws. He's like, don't compare me to him (laughs) ever. (laughs) He was great. He was. Yeah, if you're going to go that route, then fine. Show me that there is a connection between the original Ghostbusters and this. And sure, fine. Use that as give Dan Aykroyd his last payday. Give Ernie Hudson a reason to go to every comic convention for the next 15 years. He's going to anyway. And and make it a, a unified whole so that, fine, if really your bitch about this movie is it's not part of the Ghostbusters universe... Now it is. We can move on with our lives. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't want them to touch Zool, make it a little stupid Easter egg at the very end of the post credit sequence and do something completely continuing different. I would like to see more development of Patty because they, they used her as exposition in terms of history uh, where it would be important. But that was sort of Ray's job in the other movie. <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel like it would have been much more interesting to me if there were more opportunities where she just randomly, without it being needed for exposition, just talking about the history of this, that, or the other thing. Sure. So you just got more of a sense of, of her and what she's bringing to the group rather than history, exposition when needed, and and some, some larger laughs physically. Look, if they go with option A of... We'll do Zool again and tie everything together. Uh, that'll be where she fits in because she'll be able to talk about uh, Dana's apartment building, whose name I can't forget or for remember. And the corner, uh, yeah, <laughs> Evor, whoever the architect is. <laughs> we watched the original Ghostbusters a week and a half ago. We watched it twice at this point. I know, me and I, yeah. And, uh, but I've had four beers, so <laughs> I can't remember the name of the architect <laughs> and the go. Let me guess, Gozer worshiper. You know, yeah. That she will have her place to shine there. I, I I would like to see that. I would I would also like to 
get a little bit more from from Aaron and Abby about you know why they're doing what they're doing beyond a sad childhood story. Now I'm good for sad childhood stories. <laughs> Trust me, I know. I but I would like I would like Aaron. Yes. <laughs> All right. I'll keep, no. There you go. I'd like Aaron to have some some time to let's flesh that out. So you spent a year being haunted by what you felt was the ghost of the mean old lady next door. Like, let's let's take a look at that. Let's examine that. Let's let's have some sad childhood flashbacks to, to you and Abby eating ho hos talking about <laughs> the mean old lady who stares at you at night. Like. <laughs> And talk about like why the other kids at school didn't like you. And, it's <laughs> and I'd like to see the ghost actually show up and <laughs> and, and have him say, "They got my dick message." <laughs> so I'd I'd like to see some of the other characters have their opportunity to get fleshed out a little bit more. Is what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> What I want to see is uh, is Ray Stance come back and try to use one of the new proton packs. Oh, I'm like, sorry. I I didn't know how this machine worked. <laughs> <laughs> Just realized I hadn't used that sound clip for a while as so I was going for the dick message it's a, one. It's a good sound clip. Thanks. Yeah, overall, if you haven't seen the movie, go see the movie. Yeah, it's like I said, large parts of it, there were things that made more sense. Uh, there were parts that I liked better than the original. There are parts that didn't work as well for me. The, the climax, to me, was not nearly as powerful as the climax of the original Ghostbusters. Yeah. It's the whole, there is no concept, spoilers in this movie, of crossing the streams. No, but I think what they were trying to get to with the closure of this was, yeah, you're sending the, the demon back um into or the the ghost of Rowan back into the void but it was the movie opens up with the antagonistic relationship between Aaron and Abby because of the book and and how over the course of the movie gets into how their friendship really never has died and has only now become stronger because of the work they're doing which, so which has a certain amount of power yeah to me part of what made the climax of the original so exciting and powerful was in, in particular Venkman. He, he never believed this and he was in it for the money and to try to get himself some sweet, sweet Ripley Tang. <laughs> That's what he was in it for. And at the very end, they were all, as far as they knew, willing to die to save the world. Mm-hmm. They thought they were, <laughs> they thought they were going to get killed crossing the streams. But what Aaron realizes is ultimately Abby is her world. Yeah, so there's a certain amount of power to to Erin being willing willing to sacrifice herself going through the portal to save Abby. Is that nearly as powerful as you know four people saying, "Okay, if it if it means we have to die," yeah, as far as we know. I don't think it was quite the same love letter to New York City that the original one was. Uh, yeah, but also New York doesn't need as much of a love letter as it needed in 1984. <laughs> this is true. It's a, one of the finest moments in this movie to me was, yeah, they go to New York hook and ladder, whatever. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this is perfect. And, uh, and $21,000 a month. Yeah. Go straight to hell. Burn right in hell. <laughs> yeah. Although for me, and I, I, they didn't make the joke in the movie. When they come back from the portal, Abby and Aaron's hair is turned like white. I lean over to you. I'm like, look, they saw shit that turned them white. Yeah. I can't <laughs> believe they didn't do that joke. It is not the same in any way as the original. It just isn't. The original, many people have said 
is not original thought to me, but is a framework for Bill Murray to say Bill Murray shit. Yeah. With some cool technology for the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, it, it's different. They were smart to not try to remake the original one. Look, if if the original movie is your Alpha and Omega, this is not the same thing. But to me, that's a good thing because, yeah, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull wanted to be the same thing. Didn't work. For for those people for whom uh, Star Trek, the original series, or or the movies were their Alpha and Omega, they were, were not going to be satisfied with J.J. Uh, Abrams' reboot. Oh, yeah, and uh, we were talking about this earlier. Thank you for reminding me. When I was a kid, yeah, I really liked the original Star Trek. So, yeah, when the next generation came out, I'm like, who the fuck is this? That's not the Enterprise. A bald pacifist is the fucking captain? <laughs> yeah, Kirk would eat his dog food in 10 seconds. But it's, you know, I let myself give it a chance, as a lot of original Star Trek fans did, and it was very solid on its own. Yeah, this is... In its own way, Ghostbusters, the next generation, while not at least yet acknowledging mm-hmm. that the original Ghostbusters happened. It's something yeah. different. Different is not necessarily bad. Nothing is going to ruin the original Ghostbusters. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's it's still out there on, on DVD and Blu-ray and in novelizations. It, it's You can still access it. I mean, the fact that this movie has now been screened in over 3,000 theaters across this, the country is not suddenly causing <laughs> things to, to disappear. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that the, the thing to remember, no matter what, Bill Murray's last appearance as Peter Venkman was in fucking Zombieland. That didn't fuck up any of the Ghostbusters movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. The same people who felt that J.J. Abrams' Star Trek didn't live up to the original series or the movies that that had um, Shatner and and um, Nimoy yeah. did not demonstrate the same level of poor decorum online. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, look, look, it's the internet, which means there's a certain amount of sexism. The same way there's a certain amount of racism. I'd like to give most geeks the benefit of the doubt and have the motivation be that they don't understand the work that Fag has done with some of these actresses and have come out with really solid movies, the heat is better than it should be. Spy is far better than you'd think it would yeah. be. Yeah, Spy, yeah, you can be reductive of those movies. Spy is James Bond if James Bond was a fat girl. The heat is lethal weapon if it was a couple of chicks in Boston. Yeah. But they're... Solid fun movies. <laughs> so good movies. You could be just as reductive with <laughs> Ghostbusters, but if you haven't seen those movies and been like, yeah, those are kind of fun, even though they are just sort of, yeah, that kind of elevator pitch, then yeah, I could see how people would say, oh, it's just for an agenda. Well, no, he's done it before and it's worked. Why do you fuck with success? Yeah. No, Bill Murray didn't start putting pies in face. Well, then again, he did quick change. He at least dressed <laughs> like a clown. But... <laughs> You don't fuck with what works. It's worked for him. So yeah, the original is always there if you want it. Exactly. That said, no more goddamn Watchmen and DC Rebirth, Dan. <laughs> you fucking hear me? <laughs> oh, you, do you want to take this moment to transition to the comic books? Okay, which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, let's talk about, well, you just started talking about Rebirth, so don't, why don't we talk about Rebirth? All right, so Night Ring. Uh, Night Ring. Night, Night Ring, really? Four beers. I've been putting them down fast and furious. Uh, <laughs> the Nightwing Rebirth 1, uh, written by Tim Seeley, art by Yannick Paquette. 
I enjoyed this book. I enjoyed this book a lot. One of the things that I, I think is interesting in terms of the new 52 was that the bat family for the most part, other than the nod towards Batman had been through like five Robins or something. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and they were sitting things back somewhat earlier. It felt for the most part, like that was the group of characters that was the least fucked with over the course of um, the various stories. Oh, ex- except for, except for Dick, Grayson. Dick Grayson. It totally was. But they took that, weirdness of 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 supposedly killing him or outing him in terms of his identity and then making him seem like he's dead and then sending him off into this world where he's doing these James Bond type things really gave an opportunity for the character to develop outside of um even even as much as it had been developed outside of Batman far outside of Batman Oh yeah. absolutely it was it was all about just Dick Grayson as a person and not a sidekick or somebody who had been a sidekick. He used some of his skills, but Batman never showed up. He was using it in a very different way. Uh, Grayson, particularly the first year or so, where wasn't Tim Seeley writing the uh, original? Yeah. It, yeah, were some of the better comics in the DCU, YOU <laughs> sort of era. Yes. Where, yeah, it was solid month after month. So here's a situation where as we're going into Rebirth, they're they're taking the opportunity to kind of keep the continuity. So he was Grayson and now he's stepping out of that because Spiral has been defeated and back into his role as a costumed superhero. And and they're giving closure to Helena Bertinelli and now she's going back to her previous role as Huntress and they're, they're spinning her back off into birds of prey. Yeah. Well, it's (laughs) that that's very much a DC rebirth kind of thing. It's like, okay, Huntress is back. <laughs> Earth One Huntress, stop shrinking at us. <laughs> but the, whereas some of the other stories, they're kind of they're taking the ashes, I guess, of some of the things that happened at the end of of the New Fifty Two, and and kind of going forward. Um, in in this particular case, it feels like they're just kind of the story keeps going, and he's he's going to step back into being Nightwing, but it's for the purposes of he's going to infiltrate the what they are now calling the Parliament of Owls. <laughs> Sure, why not? <laughs> and and take it down from the inside. I'm looking forward to where this story goes because they're going to take the things that made the Grayson storyline exciting, which is the secret secret agent kind of pieces, yeah. but they're going to merge it with the Nightwing piece and, and have him do something that's going to be important specifically to Gotham. Yeah, while still maintaining some of the relationships he picked up in, uh, in Grayson, and yes. particularly... Yeah, one thing I loved through that whole thing was his relationship with Midnight. Oh my god, <laughs> that was such an unexpected delight. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, Midnighter I think has kind of gotten the shaft in DC Rebirth because uh, that series really it grew on me as it went mm. on. I'm going to miss that series, but yeah, it's uh, that series and Midnighter's appearances in Grayson. Yeah, that sort of appearances back and forth uh, really worked for me. Well, I think it's hard to have Midnighter, honestly, in regular DC continuity when Bat- when you also have Batman, since he's supposed to be a Batman analog. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's a standard Warren Ellis, you know. Yeah, so, of course, we'll have a Batman, but obviously he's queer for Superman. So it's like, <laughs> the world's finest indeed. And, uh, by the way, uh, he totally would destroy everybody in their shoulders and necks and collarbones. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 
in terms of this, they, yeah, they, they tied up everything nicely. They, <laughs> they, they had him say farewell to the, the girls at the school where he was their gym teacher. Yep. They, they got in their requisite butt joke. Um, well, <laughs> it's Dick Grayson. They have to. Well, apparently both of his cheeks had names. I don't, I don't know if you knew that. Jim and Juan. Um, <laughs> I'm going to need some more beer if we're going to keep doing the show. <laughs> um, they they had him sort of get some closure with yeah some of the other characters, but leaving the door open, uh, such as Midnighter and um, the I want to call him Tony the Tiger, but he's not. That's what Dick calls him. Uh, the other agent who's yeah. uh, who's still with Spiral and now running things. Yeah, it's the the arc of Dick Grayson's character since the end of Forever Evil. I, I'm willing to admit. I was wrong. The my initial reaction when I saw the first solicits for Grayson, where he's carrying a gun, I'm like, "You got him completely wrong. You don't know Dick Grayson at all." Grayson was a really good book. Yeah, and I'm gonna miss it, but with some of the same creative talent on Nightwing, okay, I'm I'm glad to have Nightwing back. But this is where I, relating it back to what we were talking about earlier with movies. One of the things I've learned about myself as a fan with these various writing arcs on comics is trying to slow down my knee-jerk reactions. Like I, I will have them as as loudly and and as 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 just shrieking like a harpy. <laughs> <laughs> but then I have to sort of remember to reel it in because the writer needs to be given the chance to tell the story. And and as much as I may angst over something or be concerned about the direction, at the end of the day, if the story is told well, then it's challenged my perceptions of the character and, and what they can do and broadened my horizons about possibilities for the character down the line. It's You're absolutely right, but we are geeks. <laughs> and we are geeks on the internet, which yes. means if they change something that we love, our reaction is going to be... Okay, um, I'm lost. Uh, I'm angry. And I'm armed. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. It is better for everybody if you can withhold judgment until you read the uh, actual work. We're just not always going to do not, that. A lot of the us aren't wired I that way. The minute I see Rorschach in fucking DC, <laughs> Dan, God, you know, I can't help I, it. I didn't see anything that was uh, Watchmen-oriented. I did not either. In here. So. But if I can just take a moment, because we're going to talk about Wonder Woman 2 in a moment, uh, just in terms of things that are happening in DC Rebirth. Sure. This week. If I could never see this fucking doomsday Snickers bar fucking ad again. Oh, Jesus God. Seriously, it not only is it stupid, it takes up four fucking pages. It's a, <laughs> it, if you haven't seen it, and if somebody is uh, listening to this from our archives and it's a long forgotten ad, it's what DC has been doing with all of their rebirth books is this big, like six page almost insert in the middle of every book, which is irritating enough yeah. when you're in the middle of a story. But in this particular one, the last three pages are like honest to God comic art. I don't know who's doing the art, but it's Doomsday attacking Superman. And the second page is Superman offering Doomsday. No, it's Batman. Because oh. he would have that in his utility belt knowing. Oh, Batman of yes, he he has a Snickers. Yeah. He also the has Bat Snickers. Yeah, Bat Snickers, Bat Condom, Bat Cockring. He, <laughs> he's really he's carrying everything that one might need when faced with a large bony gentleman. When but, when faced with um actually Wonder Woman who's clearly uh got low blood sugar. Oh and, yes. And needs to have a Snickers because otherwise she's getting bitchy. Otherwise she's going to murder Superman. <laughs> so 
So yes, and of course it's the it's like, woman. Why doesn't he just offer her a mitol? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I would pay Seriously, real. Seriously, this should have, all right, I, 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 I don't want to take this into some sort of like, oh, they're being sexist. This should have been Flash. <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> whatever commission I get at Boston Comic Con, it's going to be, I want you to, <laughs> I want you to show me Batman giving Doomsday a mitol. That's my commission. <laughs> And, and, and you know who you ask that of? Frank Cho. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's glorious. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, oh God, yeah. DC, stop the six-page inserts advertising DC Rebirth. We're reading a DC Rebirth <laughs> comic. You got us. <laughs> you won. Stop it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, all right, so I enjoyed Nightwing. <laughs> All right, <laughs> and I am I am curious about where it's going, and I and I liked how they were tying the story into the fact that Nightwing came from originally a superhero that was on Krypton, actually that Superman told Dick Grayson about, and how he's supposed to be a catalyst for change and re- and rebuilding, which is true. I think that it came is true. from like a Silver Age comic. Yep. Or- so I I liked that again when we're talking about fan service, Seely clearly has done his work in terms of understanding the origins of the character and being able to find a way to take continuity as has been developed and realistically then expand the story now into a, we're back in Gotham. How do we continue to build on what we've done? Yeah, and he's had a weird task with fan service in that yeah he's reintroducing a fan favorite character, Nightwing. While still having to deal with, okay, I've created a new fan favorite in Grayson, Agent of Spiral, right. that I have to put to bed. He, he really walks a good line with this. Yes. Uh, I'm looking forward to see what he does with Nightwing. I'm, I'm going to miss Grayson. Yeah. I mean, that great, was was the Grayson annual or? It was w- the annual that had the backwards forward yeah. story. Oh, yeah. God, that was solid. Yeah. All right. Either way, Dick Grayson's in good hands. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Wonder Woman number two. Yes, Wonder Woman number two, uh, written by Greg Rucka, Nicholas. art by uh, Nicholas Scott. Yep. Uh, this apparently is how Wonder Woman is going to be going from here on out for a while. We're going to alternate with Wonder Woman's quest for her truth as her story is a lie, alternated with Wonder Woman year one. Mm-hmm. I think this worked better for you than for me. I thought it was it was not bad. But. I'm, I'm enjoying both strands of the story. I've been well on record that I was not a fan of Azarello or certainly the Finch's run of Wonder Woman. No. <laughs> and I get that it was very popular for a lot of people. It wasn't for me. But what I'm enjoying about this is I feel like for the first time in a while, and here's where going back to... Um, some traditionalism and comfort <laughs> sure. for me as as a Wonder Woman fan. We're we're going back to um, Paradise Island. We're going back to the idea of this was a closed society of women, and 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 what does it mean to leave the island if you're going to leave the island? It and... means you turn your back on the love of Sappho that dares not speak its name. Yeah, they were pretty explicit about that in this issue. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it is the opposite of for a ten dollar all you can eat testicle fest. But (laughs) at this point, I play that clip. You just wait for it to be over. Okay, go ahead. But you know, the the only moment that kind of pulled me out of this is there is a moment with a tree where there's something evil that came out of it that like poisoned uh, Diana, and all I could think of was I'm pretty sure I saw this in um, 
Harry Potter and Prince of Azkaban. <laughs> I uh, I am not because they they have that tree that's on on the um, the campus where they go to school. I've seen exactly one Harry. The Whomping Willow. Okay. <laughs> and I had this moment where I'm like, it reminds me of the Whomping Willow. What the hell do you do when I pass out drunk? I clearly we've established it. I've seen one Harry Potter movie, <laughs> and clearly it's. Uh, uh, I don't know why I haven't seen it at this point. I, I pull up um, niche Japanese foodie porn on YouTube, and I, <laughs> I alternate that with the occasional Harry Potter and or horror movie from Netflix. That's generally what I do. Which is, uh, that's fine. <laughs> I don't know. I have Dochi a... Dochi no Ryori for life. <laughs> fucking taco. Uh, <laughs> I have a, a long-held prejudice against Harry Potter in that I on some level really feel like no you're talking about tim hunter and the books of magic i had yeah okay i I had that initial reaction as well because that was as i was getting back into comics uh after uh college my roommate had all of um the sandman books graphic novels and all of the tim hunter books Yep, and so I, I read those because uh, we only had four channels, <laughs> four channels, and spiders the size of this microphone. Stop to, it! <laughs> Just stop it now. To to keep us company. So <laughs> I and 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 I was living in an area that was somewhat urban, and it was my first experience with are those gunshots? So I had these books <laughs> to to keep me occupied at night. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Good on you. Yeah. Uh, so. Getting back to Wonder Woman. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you. God. Getting back to Wonder Woman. I'm enjoying that they're taking this time to reestablish her history in a more traditional sense on Themyscira. The <laughs> yes. Uh, I always want to pronounce it the mascara, which is horrible and wrong. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, I'm i enjoying the whole like going out into the world in the other series where she's trying to determine what is her truth. So after all of that time where they completely turned her continuity on its head under Azarello, this is me seeking the comfort of tradition <laughs> in trying to set things back to some level of previous status quo. And that's understandable. And I'm sure there's a large contingent of Ghostbusters fans who are <laughs> just watching AMC and rocking themselves to sleep. But I, I wasn't on the internet I was on the internet on this show going blah Azarello. But actually <laughs> I was still actually writing reviews actually at that time on uh on the site. Yes. But I wasn't, you know, going to fucking comic book resources or wherever the hell it is that you would rate these things going, eh, negative. <laughs> yeah, that that's true. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> Stop it, Megan. <laughs> it's a, yeah, I don't have the same kind of relationship with Wonder Woman uh, that you do. Uh, I certainly have enjoyed the character uh, ever since I was a kid. I watched the Linda mm-hmm. Carter version, but yeah, it's a Wonder Woman is one of those characters that it, I, I have no particular hardcore love for. So to go back to the origin again, yeah, I didn't particularly like what Azarello did, but. Yeah, this is just kind of weird in that I I respect the parallelism of stories that Rucka did Mm. in that we have Diana as she's growing up and getting older and Steve Trevor and his military partner who are becoming more mature as Mm -hmm. they go along until their paths finally intersect. It was a well-constructed story. But yeah, when it comes to Wonder Woman's origin, 
yeah, in my head, it's always been whatever Azarello's doing. It's like we've talked about it in the show before. Oh, I'm a fan of this character between X and X. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, all right. Azarello was doing some shit, and it didn't do anything for me, and it had no effect on Wonder Woman in Justice League or whatever. So, okay, yeah, we're back to Paradise Island, Thymascara, no men anywhere, and no contact with human. All right, so we're going back to the original stuff, and that's fine. Yeah. But And it was a well-constructed story, but... It's one of those things where that was all right. I I like it. I respect what he did with it, but it it didn't set my world alight. I I I enjoyed it. I'm I'm curious to see where it's going to go. I'm just I'm I'm excited to have a Wonder Woman title that that makes me excited every every time it comes out again. (laughs) I I can absolutely see that. And 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 again, uh, (laughs) Silk Spectre wasn't on Paradise Island, so all right, (laughs) we'll call that a positive. Yes. But yeah, yeah, there, yeah there, there was no like hidden comedian badge. There was no glowing blue handprint. <laughs> yeah, it's it does a good job of establishing Diana's character of being far more interested in what's out there in the world than what is okay. Yes, the the gods give us much in this world and ask so little. Yeah, that's great. There's comfort versus adventure. There's being comfortable at home versus curiosity about what's out there so mm-hmm. it was good character work for diana that did connect with me but again as not the world's biggest wonder woman fan you know that charge that you got out of yes this is more the diana i remember that's i get how you would get that with that not being there for me it's like this is a well-constructed story mm-hmm. with some good character stuff it was solid but i'm far more invested in the the a story as far as i'm concerned this is the b story but the a story of my origin has been fucked with for years, and I demand the truth. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to getting back to issue three to get back to that. Okay. I have full faith in Rucka that eventually these two stories will intersect. Well, they, and they will, because <coughs> with the uh, the other story, The Lie, I believe is the overall title. I forget, but sure. Um, she's about to intersect at a certain point with Steve Trevor in that story because in her search for the cheetah, she is in a country where um, Steve Trevor is doing some other op for the government. Okay, that's right. So, so, yes, the intersection will happen. Yeah. And at that point, I may retroactively be like, oh, yeah, the, the groundwork that Rucka laid works for this, mm-hmm. but that might be a retro retroactive, now that I got the trade, I get it. Yeah. As it As it was, this is a, Solidly constructed, character-driven comic story. Okay. I liked it, but I think you brought stuff to it that was just not there for me. But that's that's the cool thing about fandom. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Last one? Last one. All right. Civil War. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Uh, Civil, War num- uh, Civil War 2, number three. Yep. Uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis. Art by David Marquez. The fifth issue of Civil War. <laughs> yes. Number three is the fifth issue. <laughs> uh yeah, so finally, after five fucking issues of Civil War, we get to the real precipitating event that leads to heroes splitting off into different teams. Yes. This is so written for the trade. I'm so goddamn irritated. <laughs> I'm glad we're finally at the event, but to me it's a letdown because I've said repeatedly this could be a great Philip K. Dickian story of mm. free will versus not free will. And it turns out, it, nope, it's going to be about profiling. That's what it seems to be. And that's okay. 
with everything going on in the world, God knows you can't say that Bendis isn't writing Marvel as the world outside your window. Mm -hmm. It is a, right now, a relevant concept. Kind of interesting. I don't think anybody, spoilers, Mm. really thinks that Bruce Banner is dead. Well, that's the question. Um, It's it's not a question of Infinity Wars coming out in a couple of years. Bruce Banner is not dead. Well, no, I'm just saying in terms of this is where comic books have it somewhat easier than movies in terms of if you decide you're going to recast a legacy character. So right now, Amadeus Cho is the Hulk. Yes. Um, and so it is safe kind of to, um, air bunny quotes, kill Bruce Banner because it's a comic book. You can bring him back at age at any time when you decide that he is necessary to come back into the storyline. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Whereas movies don't necessarily have that uh, luxury right now, even if you're using CGI. True. You, you really have to plan ahead. Yeah. Yeah, it's in its own way. Uh, number one, I'm disappointed that it appear, we appear to that whole free will thing I was hoping for. And again, it's not fair to review a book based on what you hoped it would do versus what it actually did. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I've said it enough over the last few weeks. It's like, that's what I was really hoping for. I think that's probably off the table at this point in between the very clear profiling motivation, profiling idea that's driven forth in this issue with this issue, this issue basically ends with saying, with a Friday, yeah. via the AI for Tony Stark saying, oh, I believe I've figured out how Ulysses' power works, how his precognition power works. So it's like, all right, not only have we eliminated the free will thing, but we're going to find out that there's a flaw in what he does or something to that effect to make Tony Stark's side right, I imagine. <laughs> Yeah, and and clearly they're going down this path of they're, they're going to totally re, not reboot, but I guess restart Captain Marvel. And there's this whole series of uh, art that's been released that has posters with some people hailing her as protector and others um, decrying her as a tyrant. Yeah, it's it'll depend on what they do with how Ulysses' powers work. I'm getting his name right, right? Yeah, Ulysses. his name is, is, is Ulysses, yes. I, I've had four fine Berkshire Brewing Company Steel Rail <laughs> Pale Ales. That's right. The beer that makes you mentally <laughs> to forget comic book characters if you pound them down at a rapid enough clip. Berkshire Brewing Company Steel Rail. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm not saying that you're just, you know, jamming a pen in them as you're opening them. <laughs> it's, all I know is I now understand why they won't send me free beer. I don't think uh, my... <laughs> I don't think my word is... Herbida, herbida. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, what was I talking Me about? Me speak, good. We're yes. talking about uh, profiling in Civil War Two, and the, la- the unfortunate, as far as we can tell, um, choice to, to not explore free will, it would seem. Yeah, it's with, with what Bendis has done in this particular issue, in its own way, it makes absolute and total sense. And laying down the idea, you know, if you're going to do a story similar to police profiling and the the killing of unarmed black people yeah. that with video at least appears in a lot of cases to be unjustified, at least to, to well, the layman. There's just stuff in here. It's like you know, while they're distracting Banner to get him outside, um, Beast is hacking his, his computer to see if there's evidence to show that Banner is a threat. It's like, hello, Warrant? <laughs> like, 
Well, yeah, but that's absolutely right. But it's also, if you're going to do something writ large about profiling, it's hard to say you've profiled the Hulk wrong. Yeah. It, it, at this point in the Hulk's life, after X number yeah. of years of, oh, someone cuts in front of him in line and he fucks up Newark. <laughs> It's going to be hard to find Joe Blow who's going to say, yeah, shooting him in the head before he did that again was a bad call. No, and and my understanding is as they explore going forward, there's going to be people coming to Banner's funeral to to protest because people don't want the victims of the Hulk to be forgotten. Yeah. So it's it's a perfect choice on that front. In particular, when you throw in, you've got video evidence of Banner saying, I've asked Clint Barton to kill me if I do it again. Right. The the twitchy part becomes, and it's a good writing move, it's interesting, was he going to hulk out or not? Yeah. Which, for the, the type of story Bendis seems to be trying to, the world outside your window, did he have a gun or not? Was he dangerous or not? Yeah. Which is fine and contemporary and could be a very entertaining story. Is that as highfalutin as are we what we think we are going to do? <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, I, think, I think it speaks to that sort of basic, you know, if you are in a position of authority, how responsibly are you using your power? Yeah, the the trick for me as this goes forward is... How concrete is the explanation of how Ulysses' powers work? Yeah. Because if Friday has a very clear, oh, yes, and it turns out he brings this, 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 and this to it, and it affects his judgment, Mm -hmm. now you've got a much weaker story. Because it's like, no, you can't trust him. We're right to revolt. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's going to be a tricky thing to tell. Because obviously he's going to have some sort of biases that they're going to find in there somewhere. He, he's a character who came out of nowhere, who seemed largely for, forgettable to those around him before he got his powers. Yeah. So what was going on with him? He was he was clearly you know the the poster child for being a wallflower. <laughs> Yeah, so there'll be something there, or at least enough that if if Bendis writes it well, and Bendis is a solid writer, uh, this is an issue where it advances the plot, but really not a lot happens. Yeah. There's the confrontation and a lot of words and a shots fired, and then we jump to a trial where we all know what the verdict's going to be. But if he at least give, leaves the ambiguity there of how the power works, mm. there could still be a solid story here. Yeah. It's the the dicey part of it's like, oh, no, here's how it's definitely flawed. Well, now you get the good guys and bad guys. Mm-hmm. But even then, is that as interesting as <laughs> I say you're going to do this? Does that mean you're definitely going to do it? That's the question. You don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's as a pure, I think I see the future without any bias or anything like that. Yeah, I see. I'm I'm leaning toward I want the Philip K. Dick story. I don't necessarily want the cop story. Yeah. Could still be a good cop story, but it's not what I was hoping for. Doesn't make it bad, but it's in this particular issue, it's, yeah, we know exactly how it's going to go. You can't kill the Hulk and expect a jury to convict you. Right. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. The question is, was he going to be the Hulk? <laughs> and that's that's left unanswered. Yes. It's it's a solid issue, and it's finally... It, that was the biggest thing for me. It's like, finally we have a real precipitating event that will lead to these sides picking sides. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it took five fucking issues in like three fucking months. 
And uh, I would much rather have that and leave the free will thing behind. But I, we could have both, man. <laughs> could have both. Could have both. Maybe, maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised. It's very possible. <laughs> Given it's a Marvel event, uh, it's probably already behind schedule. And we'll get <laughs> issue four in September. Yes. The one thing that did bother me about this is this issue makes it very clear that, oh no, I, Bruce Banner, have been experimenting on myself and that's why I haven't been the Hulk for a year. Whereas if you read the last couple issues of the Totally Awesome Hulk, mm-hmm. it is made very clear, number one, that it's Amadeus Cho that did it. And number two, that no, at this point, Banner has kind of come to terms with it, and he's happy. Yeah, so you have to wonder, Tony knows what Amadeus is doing. How does everybody else... It it didn't make sense in terms of what we've seen from other... And it's not the first... This is the biggest problem I have sometimes with Marvel events, where, oh, these things are happening in these ancillary books, but Marvel swears, you don't have to read them to know what's going on, and it's... You kind of do. Yeah. Unless Bendis is ignoring what Pack is doing in the Totally Awesome Hulk, which is fine, but for a continuity-based company, seems weird. It's just kind of it. Just, it's a differing tone and motivation in between Totally Awesome Hulk and You cured me, Amadeus, and I finally come to terms with it, and I'm happy. And Civil War, where it's no, we're not even going to talk about that being cured. I've cured myself. It's a completely different story. Yeah, almost. I'm wondering if they're going to reconcile that in an upcoming issue. It's possible. Yeah, look, <laughs> this individual comic book on its own, pretty solid, not moving in the direction I hoped, but at least finally shit's starting to happen. Yes. Solid read this week. And I'm going to be curious to see how this plays out in terms of any level of re- resolution between banner's version of events versus what we've seen in totally awesome hulk in the next totally awesome hulk yes so we'll see how that plays yeah. out all right we got anything else or we want to wrap it up i think we can wrap it up safely at this point uh yeah because i've <laughs> pounded those four beers so i gotta go take a leak so why don't we <laughs> wrap this the world. show up <laughs> all right i don't know where you found this particular episode of this fine podcast at least as fine as we can make it but <laughs> you can always find us at our home website crisis on infinite midlives.com we are on Facebook. Uh, you can find us at facebook.com slash crisis on infinite midlives. Uh, we are on Tumblr, mm-hmm. crisis on infinite midlives.tumblr.com. We're on Twitter. Twitter handle is at infinite midlife. You can find us on iTunes, like every other podcast in the free world. And if that is how you get your podcast, do us a favor. Give us a review. Give us a rating. It does help new people find the show. Subscribe. Indeed. Subscribe through there, too. <laughs> Make Apple notice us. Even though we don't have a single Apple product in yeah. this house. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> you can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on the Google Play Network. Uh, you can find us on TuneIn Radio. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. I think I got everything. I think that's everything. All right. So, yes, this has been episode 121 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening. And derp. I really got to pee. That's not a joke. Okay. All right. <laughs>